Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So we had our post-draft episode, and uh, that one was two things for us, what we assumed. We thought it would be our um, happiest episode in a while for a while. And we also thought it would be our most content-heavy episode in a while for a while. Man, that was Wednesday night. It is currently Monday evening. And I am blown away that we were wrong, but boy, were we wrong. I can't remember the last Free Agent Frenzy episode that we've done that's had so much to talk about pertaining to the Red Wings. And... It's good. We've had Red Wings free agency content before. We're still suffering through the 2016 free agency episode. We had a lot to talk about that day. Today, it's different. Today, there's a positive spin on it. Whenever I see the notification pop up on my phone and it's a signing and it has those three letters, D-E-T, I still flinch a little bit. I still have a lot of. (laughs) PTSD. I'm like, oh god. I'm so used to seeing the number six and the number eight. And I'm just like, Ugh. but from Friday at noon, when when uh, unrestricted free agency opened till now, not only has there been good news, there's been plenty of good news. Um, Evan, I think you shaved your content beard, which is of course what you're growing your beard for too early. I did my face was looking huge, so it had to go. You look like a baby there was a tumbleweed of of facial hair that i got it was disgusting so i'm glad to be rid of it when i had my uh franz nielsen please score a goal beard i i thought it wasn't bad at the time but from time to time i scroll past those pictures and it was rough (laughs) i can't believe you guys let me do that yeah i didn't even recognize myself when i walked into my own house and turned and looked at the mirror I mean, you guys are letting me do this, so really, we're never going to stop each other from doing anything stupid when it comes to facial hair. No, Brad, yours is... Okay, first of all, I'll qualify it as you're doing your best. I'm not going to give it an Evan-level beard, but I think it's it suits you. It's very Dylan Larkin of you. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's got uh, 19 days to live. What happens in 19 days? Oh, yeah, November. you're doing it just the rock too. Yeah, oh... You know what I do for November? I donate and then I just maintain my beard as I usually do. Yeah, that's less fun. I want to look like an even bigger asshole for an entire month, more so than I already do. (laughs) And Um, I think I can pull it off. If anyone can pull that off, Brad, it's you. Absolutely. I have little confidence in myself in anything, but I have a ton of confidence in myself to look like an asshole. It's one of my strengths uh speaking of which for any new listeners tuning in welcome to the winged wheel podcast my name is ryan hannah i'm brad crisco and i showed up to this podcast on time and i'm evan and it is my job to always show up five to ten to fifteen minutes late (laughs) yeah when you said five i was like oh um but we all made it here and this is going to be a fun episode of the winged wheel podcast because not only is it our first post-draft 
post post draft episode. It's like we mentioned before, an extremely fun uh, free agent frenzy episode. So what we will be covering today is going to be uh, every single Red Wings signing. We will be talking about those inside and out, what it means for Detroit, uh, evaluating that contract, maybe giving out some arbitrary letter grades here and there. We'll be talking about some other Red Wings news uh, in terms of maybe depth charts, uh, arbitration case with uh, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, you know, how the negotiations going with Mantha, and then we'll take a look at signings around the NHL. And in addition to all of that, we have an interview with our very own uh, friend of the podcast, Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, to do uh, just touch base a little bit more on the Red Wings draft picks. So um, that's something that we always like to do after every draft, and uh, it's... <laughs> It's always such a big draw, and I feel bad that Scott's jam-packed in such a a, a content-heavy episode, but at the same time, I know you guys will love it. So we didn't want to keep it away from you for too long, and uh, it's just a, a to show that we are going to be continuing our post-draft coverage uh, throughout the next little while as well. So that's not done. We will continue to be looking back at that. Uh, all right, so the story goes, we finished up the draft, we got ready or we did the post-draft episode we all went to sleep for a long time and then we woke up on thursday and remembered oh yeah free agencies on friday i wonder what um steve eisenman's gonna do well the answer was quite a bit um on the ninth alone which was the friday the first move that steve eisenman made um and we'll go i think in chronological order here was to sign none other than uh, Bobby Ryan to a one-year, $1 million contract. So, a couple things here. Um, first, with Bobby Ryan, he obviously fills a big need for the Red Wings. He's not a game-breaker, and he's not a guy who's going to grossly move the needle for the Red Wings. And I'm going to say that about every signing before we get too far ahead of ourselves, and then I'll kind of summarize my thoughts on all the signings together at the end. What was interesting to me, I'm going to say the most interesting to me about the Bobby Ryan signing is I'm pretty sure that was the first signing of a player switching teams reported afternoon uh, when free agency opened, which doesn't sound like much considering Bobby Ryan just got bought out. He's not exactly a marquee player. But the team that just won 17 games was able to sign a guy right away, which means it didn't take a lot of convincing because obviously they didn't have a lot of time. Uh, the Red Wings came to Bobby Ryan. They said, we have a desperate need for right-handed offensive players, especially to play on the power play. Um, we can give you lots of ice time. We're not going to give you a lot of money and we're going to give you no term. And Bobby Ryan went, okay. And signed right away. He, he he even said in his interview, he's like, I got off the phone with Iserman. He was the first person I talked to. And I just walked over to my wife and said, we're going to Detroit. So uh, given what followed that signing, it's very obvious, whatever Stevie's pitching, people are buying. Um, He got the, a lot of players that right, that probably should have got more money, even a pandemic world probably should have got more term and even in a pandemic world to come to a team that just won 17 games and Bobby Ryan's was probably the signing that made that most apparent given how quick it was yeah what Brad touched on like he mentioned covers the entire thread of Red Wing signings um, and, and we'll, we'll expand on that pretty shortly after we we cover everyone but that was the biggest thing was how passionate Bobby Ryan was to come to Detroit 
you're not you weren't we weren't going into free agency expecting Detroit to sign nobody. They needed to sign people, and that was the reality of it. And we knew it it would be you know the Bobby Ryan type of guys, the reclamation projects, maybe the guys who just needed an opportunity for more playing time. That all makes sense. But yeah, to see the the passion and excitement to do so, that was the first little tinge of oh man, like something's brewing in hockey town. Like the Eisenman's got something good going here, and it's really picking up steam now. So specific to Bobby Ryan, yeah, obviously, you know, um, took time off last year in Ottawa uh, to recover from uh, addiction, came back, scored that hat trick in his first game back. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal story. An easy guy to cheer for. Genuinely good veteran depth. Um, he's not going to have the hands or the feet anymore. Uh, but at the same time, he's a right shot and he can probably probably play up and down Detroit's middle six or lower if needed. Um will slot in on the power play and he's the kind of depth where he's a year, a million dollars and will actually bring, you know, support to a developing team. And we're going to say that a lot, a lot of what we're saying, like is going to carry over to every free agent, but this was a a good signing in my mind. A lot of people pegged Bobby Ryan as a guy that they want to come to Detroit. Uh, Very happy that it's one year, very happy. That's a million bucks. And also if Bobby Ryan does well and has a good year, this might be a guy that uh, Eisman flips for an asset at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, what what could you not like about this? It's cheap, it's short term, and it's a guy who actually wants to be there. I think that's the biggest thing to me. We didn't have to force or overpay or you know force someone to come here who didn't want to be here. He, by in his own account, says he wants to be there. So. I've always liked Bobby Ryan. I don't think he's, you know, the 34 goal scorer that he used to be. Um, but he'll get lots of opportunity to play. And uh, I'm just I'm just happy to have someone who wants to be there. That, that was the biggest takeaway for me. And, I mean, fans have to be realistic about what Bobby Ryan is as well. Because, uh, as Evan referenced, he used to be a 34 goal scorer. But he's still not a useless hockey player. He's in his early thirties. He's 33 years old, uh, born a few months before me, which is depressing, but, uh, he's so old. He's so don't listen to Brad. He's so a billion years. His his last three seasons, he was still a roughly a half a point per game player. He had only eight points in 24 games last year, but given the circumstances of what he was going through last year, it's understandable. So I'm not saying he's going to bounce back to be a 50, 60 point player this year, but if I think it's reasonable to expect 30 to 45 points out of him this year, which is a massive upgrade from a majority of the wingers on the roster last year. And the fact that he shoots right is just a bonus. And I mean, I don't expect him to get a huge return at the deadline, but he he'll probably get something at the deadline. Right-handed shots are at a premium in the NHL. So even if he puts up, I don't know how many games are they going to play before the deadline? 50, 60. If he puts up 25 to 35 points in that window, he will get some attention. He might, might creep his way up to a second round pick, third to fifth round pick more likely, depending how the season goes. And I mean, this is going to be a very common theme for all of the Red Wings UFAs that we're going to talk about um, later. But yeah, I, it was a, a very, very good pickup for the Red Wings. Yeah, this is all sort of really working out for Bobby Ryan. And that's why I think, you know, we might get a little bit more out of him than maybe last year or the last two years you know he's he's coming out of um i think he was in rehab was he in rehab or he's you know past that stage in his life now where he can you know actually put a, a lot of effort into hockey he's happy to be there you know everything's going well for bobby ryan right now so i could imagine he 
like, uh, I don't want to say 40 points, but you just never know. He, he seems like he's in a good space now and he's somewhere where he's he's positive to be there. So if we could get a second round pick at the tra- trade deadline, that's a crazy good move. Oh, if they get a second, I'd be blown away. But yeah, like you guys mentioned, it, it's just a good, it's a win-win all around. Exactly. Um, speaking of guys who want to come here, uh, the next big signing that um, they signed Riley Bar- Barber and they signed Kyle uh, Chris Colo, which are essentially minor league deals. Those are two-way contracts. Uh, but then they signed um, left side defenseman John Merrill, who uh, was coming over from Vegas, who is an excellent excellent shutdown defender on the left side um not only is he an extremely effective shutdown defenseman 28 years old they signed him one year for nine hundred twenty-five thousand against the cap not even a million bucks for john merrill and this is another guy who has roots in michigan um really really excited to to come play for detroit talked about that and uh, it's definitely just Danny DeKaiser with shaggier hair. That's what he looks like. Is um, that tweet that I saw about his hair that I retweeted, that's that's some great hair. That was that, worth it right there. That's some premier flow. Uh, but again, that's just another, like, John Merrill is not kicking down the door. He's not going to bring this team to the playoffs. He's not going to be a top-pairing defenseman. But what he adds is genuine stability genuine depth and a not only just a warm body this is a guy who can play defense who can play defense very very well yeah if you like patrick nemeth you're gonna love john merrill they're the same player but with better hair um you know how you said every time you see a a free agency notification come up on your phone with det you you wince a little bit Every time the Red Wings acquire a player and I see from Michigan at this point, I wince a little. But uh, yeah, when you actually dive into Merrill, I mean, offensively, he's a non-factor. He's basically incapable of providing offense in any significant way. Um, But according to just about every metric I went and looked at, he is an above average defender. So when you hear the term defensive defenseman, that's usually a euphemism for can't score in John Merrill's case, it actually fits. It works. He, he legitimately can defend. Um, so again, another guy, one-year deal. If it goes well, maybe they extend him. If it goes well, maybe they trade him. If it doesn't go well, hey, it's over in a year. Who cares? Um, another amazing signing. Again, don't expect a huge return at the deadline, but this is the type of defenseman um, that teams do look for at the deadline. I mean, obviously, he's going to help the wings. But if you want to talk about things, a legit good defenseman for a playoff run does um, is an asset that is coveted at the deadline. Um, again, not huge returns. But again, I know we said talking about flipping Bobby Ryan at the deadline because he is 33. So he's probably at the age now where he, he wants to compete for a cup. He doesn't have that much time. He knows that he's worried about his next contract. Yada, yada, yada. John Merrill's 28. And the nice thing about defensive defensemen is they don't command a ton of money or term. John Merrill would be a good candidate right now to bypass at the deadline, keep and extend. Because, uh, again, in a pandemic world, they just signed him for 925000 to fill a direct need at a position of weakness. He'd be a good bet if it goes well. Maybe keep him around for two more years at, at $2 million per year or something like that. He's a Red Wings fan. He wants to be here. We saw all the pictures of him growing up. Um He's got a young family. He probably doesn't want to be a suitcase for the next few years. So, I mean, I, I 
I don't know if Merrill was my favorite signing of the five, but it was definitely top two or three for me just because of the possibilities with him. And I'm not even the former defenseman of this podcast. Yeah, another guy who wants to be there. And anyone who wants to be there on a 17-win team, I automatically like it. Because because they're coming in with the right attitude and they're they're looking for they have something positive. That's all I got on on him. <laughs> yeah, it takes a certain kind of crazy to want to come here. But no, John Merrill was another guy who cited um, Eisenman in, in believing in what the Red Wings are doing, and you know the excitement of being on a rebuilding team and having a role to play. This is a guy who's looking for bigger minutes too, and he'll be in a top four role. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him slot even higher than that. For example, that's a guy who can play a lot of. Uh, safe minutes with with Philip Ronick in the sense that he can protect a lot of Philip Ronick's game so he can lean on his offense a little bit more if they need to. Um, Eisenman didn't sign any of these guys, you know, attaching them to a specific line or pairing. He doesn't do that. He said as much since press conference today. But still, like you mentioned, Brad, I really do like defensemen who can play defense. And that's what John Merrill does really well. And you put it perfectly with the Nemeth comparison. It's Nemeth, but better. And uh, it comes at virtually no cost. If he does great, awesome. He'll stick around. If not, who cares? He's done after the year. Um, but I, I have a feeling that he'll have a useful spot in this team. And you think of the the defensemen that they jettisoned with Erickson and Green and uh, Bowie. And they're getting a lot of net positive in terms of actually being able to play in your own zone the goalies are still going to be shelled on this team but it's not going to be catastrophic like it has been in years past and and that's what i think that kind of stabilization is a big part of what steve eisman has wanted to do we've seen that with his draft picks and you see it with this kind of signing and another signing we'll talk about in a second Uh, but the first one we're going to talk about well there's two goalies signed again one is kevin boyle that's more of a minor league deal it's a two-way contract Uh, but the next one is one that we predicted we got this one right months ago. I think maybe even a year ago at this point. Um, but the goaltender coming in to play 1A, 1B with Jonathan Bernier uh, to try to weather the storm of a rebuilding team is none other than former New York Islanders goalie and German friend for Moritz Sider, Thomas Grice, who's coming in on a two-year, $3.6 million per year contract. So I love the way Stevie played this, because I'm not going to say for sure that Thomas Grice was his number one target. Cause we don't know. There were rumors floating around uh Friday that the Red Wings were also taking a look at Cam Talbot. Um, but goaltender, at least until the Petrangelo contract was signed, goaltender seemed to be the one position that was getting overpaid a little bit, especially looking at the term Jakob Markstrom got looking at what, um, the three years Cam Talbot got, the three years that Anton Hudobin got. It's not that not that those are horrible contracts, but I mean you're giving a three year deal to goalies north of thirty who are or are not better than Thomas Grace, depending. So I just been kinda let the market shake out, saw what was left, realized there weren't that many teams that were hot to trot on goalies, and he said, Okay, Grace is the best of what's left. I can probably get him on a two year deal. We're covered for the expansion draft, and we have our one A, one B. And he did it, and it was perfect. And he you can make an argument he was the best of the bunch outside of Markstrom anyway. But yeah, he, he's here now. He's 34, I believe. But he's put together a string of like three or four great seasons. Yeah, I mean, what's not to like about that? 
Here's my thing with the Grice contract. I'm not even going to come here and say it's a perfect deal. I think of all the deals that Eisenman signed, it's probably the least strong in terms of value. I'd probably put that closer to market value than any kind of bargain. And if that's the worst of your signings, oh man, are you doing well? Um, and especially with goalies, like you see what Matt Murray signed for, you see what Markstrom signed for, you see what all these guys signed for. You're probably not going to get a guy like Grice who's coming off, like Brad mentioned, some strong seasons for very cheap, but that's okay. Eisenman has some key goals in mind, and it's not to magically overnight turn this team into a Stanley Cup contender. Anyone with a brain and Eisenman himself has said, that's just not how it works with free agency, but you still have to do things to protect your team. And like I just said, with uh, solidifying the defense, you also have to solidify the goaltending. There's nothing more gutting for a young developing team than playing a great game and having the floor fall out from beneath you because your goaltender just shit the bed. Um, to have Bernier and to have Grice, what Eisman has allowed the team to do is ride the hot hand, always have someone who's just stopping the pucks they need to stop at net and have a sufficient level of backstopping for the team as they go out there and try to improve every night. Grice isn't going to put up the numbers he did with the Islanders. Um, that was a very strong defensive system with um, a lot more. They're a lot further in their process. Let's just put it that way. That's a, a strong playoff team with a great uh, defensive-minded coach in Barry Trotz. But that's okay. The, you, no one's expecting these players to come onto the Red Wings and have their career best. Grice offers stability. Grice is a veteran, so he can handle getting shelled night in and night out like a young goalie might not. And if the cost of that is a two-year deal short-term at market value, I'm very happy with it. That's I'm, I'm happy he's not paying a goalie $5 million. I'm happy it's not a longer-term deal. Um, that This is one that just makes sense to me. Yeah, and actually just looking at Grice's stats, so he's never played more than 51 games in a season, which is worth noting. But he came into the league in um, 2007-8. And if you take his rookie year out of the equation, he's only had two seasons total with a save percentage under 912. So he's not a flash in the pan like, oh, yeah, he's he, you get him under Barry Trotz and I could put up a 915 save percentage. I mean, he's, he hasn't exactly played for crappy teams in his career, but that's a remarkable level of consistency. Yeah, I, I'm just glad the Red Wings didn't get involved in the goaltender silliness with some of the contracts that were being handed out. So when I saw this one <clears throat> come through, I was I was happy. Short term, not much money. He's a very good asset, and if a team wants to go 1A, 1B in the playoffs and they've got an injury or they don't like how one of their goalies are playing, there's another asset that could be had. Yeah, that Matt Murray deal with Ottawa, four years at 6.25 a year. I, I can't make left or right of Ottawa. Nope. They paid the highest AAV to a goalie uh, this week, and it was for an RFA. And it was for probably not even one of the three to five best goalies who are available. They didn't give the term that Jakob Markstrom did, but it's uh, it's a head scratcher. I but we'll get say, to the rest of the NHL signings because there were there were worse contracts signed, one of them, 15 minutes yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, and then the second to last signing of Eisman's, at least at the time of recording, um, was this has to be my favorite one. Um, this one is a gift from friend Jim Benning in Vancouver. 
Apparently, they couldn't afford to qualify Troy Stetcher, who then signed with the Red Wings um, on a two-year, $1.7 million per year contract. 26-year-old right-side defenseman. This is, I think, one of the best value deals of the entire free agency, and I think the most underrated one for for Red Wings fans. Um, I'm thrilled. I had I really didn't anticipate it. I didn't even notice that they didn't uh, qualify Troy Stetcher for like a few hours until after the qualifying period was over. Oh, I noticed because I follow a lot of uh, Vancouver um, writers and fans on, and they were all over my timeline about it. Um, this was the signing that I'll say surprised me because Eisenman wasn't shy about saying that you know they needed a left shot D. They needed a right-handed shooting forward and they needed another goalie because they only had Bernier going into the season. And even if he didn't say anything, I think any idiot looking at that roster could figure out those were the three big holes. And even if we didn't love the right side of the Red Wings defense, I think we all looked at it and went, well, given that they've got Merrill and Nemeth and DeKaiser on the left, if we have to go into the season with uh, Hironic, Biega and Lindstrom, that's not awful. Again, this is not a playoff team, but it's not awful. So we weren't sure if they were going to do a right-handed D and um, et cetera. So I saw the notification, Troy Stetcher signs, and just like Ryan referenced, I saw D-E-T. And my first thought was, oh, shit, what did we pay this guy? Because, again, not that we necessarily needed another right shot D. He's definitely an upgrade. He's an above-average defenseman, and he shoots right. And knowing that Vancouver couldn't afford him, and uh, I'm like, ah, oh, no, we were the team to pay him. And then I saw the 1.7, like 5 million, five minutes later, and I was stunned. And it's even funnier when you look at it now, all the rumors about Vancouver, they're in on uh, uh, Sammy Votnin and a bunch of other right shot defensemen. It's like, am I missing something here? But um yeah, Troy Stetcher is a legitimately good defenseman. Again, not like a top two defenseman, not a huge needle mover. But he's the exact type of depth you need to be a good team in the NHL. If Troy Stetcher is on your second pair, you can be a really, really good team in the NHL. If Troy Stetcher is on your third pair, you're probably a cup contender. Um, he has, He's not, again, like John Merrill, he's not the biggest offensive producer, although he is better at that. Uh, than Merrill is, but again, he provides stability. He provides a good skating defenseman, a good transition player. Um, again, above average defensive metrics, despite being only, I think, what is he, 5'10, 5'11, not the biggest guy in the world. Th- this signing caught me off guard because I was kind of expecting the right handed forward, the left shot D, and the backup goalie. Uh, that was that was expected. And then this was just remarkable. And um, he's a guy, again, much like Merrill. Um, that, yeah, you, maybe next year you flip him at the deadline for a pretty good return, but he's only 26. This is a guy that you we might be talking about that we're hoping the Red Wings extend him at the end of next season because he'll only be 28. And again, not the type of player who's going to command top dollar um, or long term because he's just not a huge offensive producer. So when you look at the defensemen, uh, Merrill and Stetcher, it's, not only are they good signings because they're good players and they're good value, there's a lot of option with them, with options with both of them, which is fantastic. Yeah, I wouldn't even be surprised if this was a kind of a surprise or I wouldn't be surprised if this came a little unexpectedly for Eisenman as in like 
you know, obviously you're going to target this guy, but you assume he's going to go for more. Again, I don't see how a team as cash strapped and as, as, you know, anchored down by awful contracts as Vancouver is not finding their value with cheap contracts like Stetcher. That to me is a whole other story of, of, of asset mismanagement by Jim Benning and his team in Vancouver. But, uh, I digress. Um, one thing about Stetcher outside of what you mentioned, Brad, that I think is really notable is that he's described a, a lot of the same way as uh, Alex Biega was described uh, coming over. The guy apparently works like a bulldog. Like, he works absolutely crazy. There's stories of him puking at every single camp. That's how hard he pushes himself. And can you think of a guy that Steve Eisman's happier to sign? Between Stetcher and uh, Merrill, you're not going to get 30 goals. You're not going to get a ton of time. Uh, or a, a ton of points or anything, but what you are going to get is just solid, hard-working defense. And to get those two guys for under two point seven million on the cap is just astounding. What a stark departure from Jonathan Erickson's contract. And yeah. uh, j- just for reference, Stetcher is a lot better than Biega. Um, yeah, if the Red Wings are going to be bad, they may as well be somewhat more difficult to play against. I would yep. prefer the three nothing losses to the the six nothing losses. That is the tagline to this free agency. There's still going to be losses, but they're not going to be by five goals anymore, or at least not often. Uh, the last signing, again, last signing at the time of recording, is uh, came yesterday morning, and it was uh, Eisenman's old buddy from Tampa Bay and Kozlov's nephew. Uh, in Vlad Nemesnikov on a two-year, $2 million per year contract, um, which I thought was really, really good, and it really complemented what Bobby Ryan's bringing to the team, which is uh, depth in the middle six up and down the lineup. Vlad has played center in the past. He's played both wings. I think that could go a long way in terms of uh, benefiting Robbie Fabry in case center doesn't work out for him or cycling in. Uh, again, Nemesnikov's not you know a first-line forward, but at on a two year, two million dollar per year contract, that's that's great value and in good, solid, productive depth for Detroit. So let's put it this way. Again, if you look at the contract in a vacuum, two years at two million per year for Vlad Nemesnikov is ridiculous value. Again, uh, much like Bobby Ryan, he's about a half a point per game player, but he's younger and has a lot more positional flexibility. Uh, he's already said he wants to go back to center. So let's let's not make no mistake here. After all the other signings, the Red Wings' biggest glaring hole in their roster was second line center, and Vladimir Mesnikov is now the best option to go there. He will still be considered a below average second line center by NHL standards. So it's not like we just signed um, the guy we all hope Joe Valeno will be become. No, he's not. But he is affordable, flexible, and a big upgrade on what we had last year. So all of a sudden, if our second line looks like some combination of Nemesnikov, Zadina, and Fabry, that's a line that can produce offense, not at any sort of staggering clip. But now you put the MLB line together for the top line. You put Nemesnikov between two good offensive players. I would assume it's going to be two of the three of Fabry, Zadina, and Ryan. Great. That's a good line. And then you have a guy like Ryan with you know, who the hell ever you want on the third line. And that's an upgrade there as well. So 
It was it was a, a shrewd signing. And again, because it was so cheap and short term, there are going to be options here. Nemesikov's been traded at the deadline already in previous years for decent returns. So if we're looking at that next year again, great. It's more assets because the, the nice thing about getting some of these guys on one year terms and some of them on two year terms, even if the plan is to flip all of them. Is you're spacing it out now because you don't you'd rather walk into two drafts with ten picks each than walk into one draft with fifteen and the next one with seven. So um, again, just a, a nice bit of work by Eiserman, just commanding top value at a position of need. Yes, the new trendy word is value and depth. <laughs> and we haven't said the V word in Detroit for a long time. It's new. Got I had to look up the description, uh, the meaning before I I started recording today. Uh, and take it for whatever it's worth too, because obviously with the second line center, the first thing we're going to do is look at his point totals and what is he capable of producing offensively. But I have a, a friend who's an Avalanche fan and and um, his first comment to me when he saw we signed Mesnikov was apparently he's a machine on the penalty kill. Uh, he had like a bunch of shorthanded goals last year as, as a workhorse defensively despite being an undersized guy. So you know, if that is true and he lives up to his billing defensively, even though I admittedly haven't looked into his defensive metrics, I mean, that's going to give Zadina and Ryan and Fabry and whoever it is more room to run in the other zone. Uh, they can take a few more risks. Um, they can be the trigger men. So that could be a win-win, even if Nemesnikov isn't the ideal second line center in the NHL these days. Yeah, I, I and I still think that he'll probably rotate in and out of there. I think they'll probably try Robbie Fabry one more time at least in earnest or just kind of well, slot him in and out at center. Well, I don't think Robbie Fabry's ever played a game at center in his NHL career. So I, I'm still very opposed to that idea. I mean, if the season goes off the rail, by all means, try it. It could yeah. hurt to try it, but I would much rather see Nemesnikov in that slot. A, because Ro- Fabry's better on the wing. And B, because Nemesnikov has actually played center before at, in the NHL. So that is the Red Wings free agency to date. Um, Eisman had a press conference today when he was asked, I think Brad Galley asked this, unless I'm mistaken, in which case I apologize. Um, he said, is there anything else coming in terms of signings? And Eisman immediately pivoted towards uh, they're actually right now looking for cash strapped teams uh, to try to get that, you know, trade and give us assets in exchange for us taking on your bad contracts deal. Um, <laughs> there's a big deal Vegas just signed that we'll get to that might lead to that. Uh, they not to, yeah, they literally have to make a deal, uh, before I forget the exact time deadline tomorrow, but I, someone pointed out there's a reason they signed the Petrangelo contract after 5 p.m. Because the NHL registry was closed and that contract won't register until tomorrow. And as of right now, they are over the 10% um, overage Whoa. that you're allowed under the cap. So they Very have funny. to do something. If I was, I think it was Prashanth actually who's tweeting it, uh, or maybe it was Rachel Dory. Correct me if I'm wrong either way, but someone um, said they have until tomorrow to make a move or they are screwed. So um, if that is true, <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, Detroit's a prime target right now because um, I was actually texting with Max about it. There's not a lot of teams out there right now in a position to take on um, dead cap right now. There are not a lot of options and the Red Wings still have enough cap space to take on multiple. I, pro- I would guess not more than two. One, if they do a really significant one. Um, 
But yeah, it's going to get real interesting real soon. And the fact that Eisenman went out of his way again to reference this, this is the second or third time in a presser. He's went out of his way to say that this is what he would like to do. If he makes one of these trades and he doesn't get the biggest return on it, like we would hope for, ideally, let's say he trades for Marc-Andre Fleury to save Vegas's ass and he doesn't get more than a second round pick for it. That, that that's all that was out there because he's very clearly trying to so it's not going to be for lack of effort he's going to take the the biggest offer he can get but i'm curious to see how teams are going to leverage a team like vegas or tampa right now especially vegas given what they just did and okay here are your options i will take on this i i will take this player for this package hear me out if not yeah you there is no counter offer this is what i'm doing or you can talk to nhl central registry tomorrow Right, this is going to be a bidding war to the floor for uh, for Vegas. They're not negotiating to the top on this one. <laughs> we can do one A, a one B, and a one C. We'll have three goalies. They'll play every every third game. They'll all, they'll never sweat, and we'll just roll like that. That's what we can offer. If you don't want them to sweat, they have to play alternating periods, which I actually think would be you know hysterical. What? We could do spread. that too. Yeah. The Red Wings could do that too. We'll, we're going to get to all of this in a minute, but I just want to wrap up the free agency signings. We're going to give our you know normal arbitrary letter grades. That mean nothing other than how happy we're feeling, and I think we, we're going to know a theme for this. Um, and then just talk some broad strokes things, uh, points about free agency before moving on to the rest of the league and then trades and everything like that. How do you rate, up to the Nemesnikov deal, the free agent frenzy of the Red Wings and Steve Eisenman? like in terms of overall impact of players they got, I mean, it's, it's like a, a, a lukewarm B minus B, but when you take it into the context of what the red, where the red wings are in their rebuild, what they needed, um, the amount of flexibility that Eisman has now presented with this team, like this is an a plus it's not hyperbole. He did exactly what the Red Wings should have done and he did it better and cheaper and with shorter term than I thought he could have even in a pandemic world yeah like when you when you put context to it and where the Red Wings are it's it's been great um if they were competing and trying to win it might not be so good um, but I'm glad the Red Wings didn't get caught up in the Petrangelo type contracts, the Markstrom type contracts. I'm just, they got great value. They added a ton of depth and everyone needs to be honest. The Red Wings aren't going to be good for a, quite a bit of time. So these are the type of deals you should be looking for. Yeah. What Eisenman did here was clear out the rot and replace it with just good, solid foundation. None of this stuff is shiny. None of this stuff is going to drag this team to the playoffs. I don't think they're going to be a, a wild card team. I know it's pretty ambitious and it's fun to think about that, but they still have a long way to go. But he cleared out a lot of the excessively dead weight. Um, for him to retool through free agency in such a cheap way, come out net positive in terms of cap space generated, as well as talent added to the team, I think he's completely deserving of that A plus grade that Brad gave. I would tend to agree. Um, if you're a nerd like Brad, go check out uh, Brad's depth chart. It's on his Twitter at Brad Crisco. We also retweeted it from the podcast account at Winged Wheel Pod. Um, he keeps an Excel sheet like 
fucking dweeb. Um, it and is it, super could, convenient when you need to reference something on the quick. I will tell you that. It is It is really remarkable, and it's apparent just looking at this, um, what Steve Eisman was able to do. None of the core was moved. He didn't add any superstars. It's not like they, they had a Lucas Raymond-level impact to the organization. But to, to, again, like I said, clear out that rot, I'm using a lot of that terminology. I've just, I keep getting teeth fixed lately. I was just at the dentist on Friday. So, uh, that's kind of how I'm thinking. But still, like you just added a solid, uh, a surrounding to your developing core. And I think, like Evan said, you're not going to lose as badly anymore. Probably not as much. You're going to lose, they're going to be a bottom tier team, but it's not going to be as devastating. And it's not going to, I think, be so bad where it hinders the culture they're trying to build in Detroit. We won't go numb in November this year. No. Yeah. And some people will argue, and and it, admittedly, it was a thought that came into my head. Well, yeah, they might just be good enough to not be one of the two or three worst teams in the league this year. And is that where they want to be right now? Because quite honestly, they still need a lot of talent in the prospect pool. Lucas Raymond and Wallander and adding those guys is great, but they still probably need one or two more elite pieces. But hey, if there's ever a season to kind of improve, it's it's this upcoming draft where there's no clear cut number one, but a very deep top 10. So if the Red Wings do, like, let's say, shock the world, then jump up five to 10 spots in the standings, this is probably the year that they want to make a jump. And the long-term view of that is when the Red Wings start getting good, that's when you start bringing the prospects up. And most of these prospects will make a positive impact on the team. So if you're getting good and then you bring in good prospects, you get better. And then when you get better, guess what? other players start noticing and now you don't have to talk to guys like Bobby Ryan to convince them to come to Detroit you're talking to upgrades on that to come to Detroit and they're willing to not be overpaid to come because they believe they might end up getting a cup out of it so it's that snowball effect of going from a basement feeder to a good a good to great team in the NHL but I think the biggest and most important takeaway from everything Iserman did this weekend is the flexibility. So if you look beyond the 21-22 season, which is two seasons from now, so they'd still have to play two more seasons. So if you're looking three seasons away, do you want to know the list of Red Wings signed for that season right now? Dylan Larkin. That's the end of the list. <laughs> and then you look at after this up, they have 10 unrestricted free agents off the current projected roster coming up this offseason. 10. You have, um, let me just pull up cap friendly here. So for unrestricted free agents after the season, you have Darren Helm, Valtteri Filpula, Bobby Ryan, Sam Gagne, Luke Glendening, uh, Patrick Nemeth, John Merrill, Mark Stahl, Alex Biega, and Jonathan Bernier. Obviously, they are not going to sell all 10 of those guys at the deadline. They'll probably sell off five to six of them. That is a lot of assets, even if it's only mid-round aspects or mid-round draft picks or B-level prospects. And then the season after that, they're they're wide open for roster options. They can bring up a ton of prospects. They can bring in even more value signings like this. Steve Eiserman is looking after the season at a blank canvas where the literal only bad contract on the roster at that point will be Franz Nielsen. Like, Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't think he's going to sign. Oh, yeah. Are you saying he might we'll buy the buyout? Yeah. 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 So also a possibility. So if you believe in Steve Eisenman's ability to build a roster, 
after this year, he's basically staring at a blank canvas and a stacked prospect system. The Red Wings are legitimately in a position in three to five years to be a great team. They still need more talent. They still need a couple more high draft picks, and they still need a few of their second and third round prospects to hit. But if you look at what Jonathan Bergeron's doing in the SHL right now, if you look at what Antti Tuomisto did last year, if you look at what Theodore Niederbach's doing early this season, and the fact that they got Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider on top of that, holy shit, it might actually happen. This is legitimately the first time I'm looking at every angle of this rebuild and going, oh my God, yeah, maybe. Like this, this is actually going our way now. The prospects are developing. Most of them are developing the way we wanted. The top end guys are meeting or exceeding our expectations. We're getting pleasantly surprised by more than a couple of the depth draft picks and seeing a lot of positive progression from them. We're getting good, valuable players on the roster and they still have a ton of assets to get even more picks and prospects. It's unbelievable. And that's not even including the fact that after all these signings, and once you factor in Henrik Zetterberg's contract going on LTIR, he still has $24 million of cap space right now. Let's assume Anthony Mantha, Tyler Bertuzzi, and Dimitro Timoshov eat up the absolute most of that that I could see them eating up, which I would say is about $13 million combined. That still leaves Steve Eisenman with $11 million dollars to weaponize the cap and take advantage of the Vegas's and the Tampa Bay's of the world right now. It is truly a masterful job of what he has set up in a despite the fact that he's only been the GM for a year and a half. It's staggering what he's been able to accomplish. <laughs> Brad, do you do circular breathing? <laughs> Did you take a single breath there? I want yeah. you to be honest. Is there any oxygen left in your brain? I mean, it's not hard to breathe while you talk. Holy shit. <laughs> that is a that is a man on fire. I have never seen Brad so excited, and that's how you know the rebuild is taking shape. We you were pumped. Look at the week. Again, this is I'm not exaggerating. Outside of specific drafts. I can't even say I was excited coming out of the 2019 draft because I did not expect Mo Sider to do what he did last year. The 2018 draft and this week have been the only times I've been excited, legitimately excited as a Red Wings fan in the last five years. If no, anybody indeed. isn't feeling what I'm feeling, go cheer for another team because I don't know what you're paying attention to. 100%. It's just <laughs> for the uh, new listeners, Evan and I will never miss an opportunity to dig into uh, Brad. But no, everything you said was right. And if I can just add one thing to that, and you kind of already touched on this, all of these players like – and this is a very preliminary stage in in the the taking shape of whatever the next team the next form of the team is. But all of these early players citing Steve Eisman directly and his passion for the team and his vision for the team as why they chose Detroit bodes so well for when Detroit's competing. You think back to the Stamco sweepstakes and how gutting it was that Detroit didn't even get an interview with him. They didn't even get in the room with him. That won't happen with Steve Eisman at the helm, and that's what's been signaled this free agency. Um, for Detroit to become a desired spot again is just so huge, and it's so good for the team's morale. It's so good for the fan base to believe that you know the guys want to come to your team again when our last version of any 
people like caring about the Red Wings at all was not wanting to play for Mike Babcock because he was such a monumental dickhead. Um, and then you couple that with the fact that Steve Eisman is known for signing star players at ungodly bargains. Part of that might have been Julian Brisebois, who's obviously still in Tampa Bay as their GM. But Eisman has that reputation and we're already see- seeing signs of that here. So that is why we are so excited. Other news in terms of signings. Um, Mantha and Bertuzzi remain unsigned. The uh, deadline to file for salary arbitration passed and uh, Tyler Bertuzzi did elect to uh, join the salary arbitration process. Um, that is pretty procedural. You, The team and the player can still negotiate leading up to that deadline. So it's not really – I'm not concerned yet. Um, it also protects Bertuzzi from being signed to an offer sheet. So there's a silver lining there's still a time for them to work it out. Eisenman said today that he's well, obviously they're guaranteed to have a contract, but he's confident something's going to be worked out with both uh, Bertuzzi and Mantha. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty stepwise at this point. I'm not too, um, peeved by it. I don't know how you guys feel about that. What was the question? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is. That's the first one. Of the- hey, 48 minutes in is good for your first one of the episode. That's true. Um, the Bertuzzi arbitration. It means nothing. It's it's just protecting him. Man, I, I found it more interesting Mantha didn't than I found uh, the fact that Bertuzzi did because Mantha is still eligible for an offer sheet now. So the only because they're restricted free agents, the only leverage these players have really is they can go to arbitration and then hopefully the team gets scared that they might be awarded more than the team wants to pay. Um, they can hold out services for the season, which I don't think Mantha or Bertuzzi would do, but either way we see, or they could play up the offer sheet. So outside of it holding out for the season, now Bertuzzi can play the, well, I think the arbitrator is going to give me more card and Mantha can play the, Hey, teams can offer sheet me card. And given where they're both at in their career, Mantha's more likely for an offer sheet and Bertuzzi's more likely to get awarded something by the arbitrator. Um, so it makes sense. I'm not worried again. We're still so early in this process. If they're not talking about starting training camp till November, December, there's tons of time now. And the fact Stevie doesn't seem worried and he said he's talking to Mantha's camp again this week. I'm not, I'm, I, it's, it's nothing to me yet. If you're an opposing GM and you want to offer sheet Mantha, Hey, I think personally, the guy is well worth four first round picks. So don't hesitate to sign him to that mega contract. And yes. it'll be ah darn four first round picks. Shit. Yeah, someone someone tweeted at me. They're like, what would what would be your uh, what would you do if um someone offer sheeted Mantha like five years at ten million per year? And I'm like, I would happily take those picks. I love Anthony Mantha, but no, I I could not pass on that faster. Best of luck, Anthony. We'll cheer for you for every goal. And we'll be thrilled with the extra first round pick for the next four years. Uh, but no, not to say that Bertuzzi is definitely not going to arbitration. It might reach it, but not too tied up in it. So a, a little uh, caveat to the Bertuzzi arbitration and credit to Prashanth Iyer, who is the first one who kind of noticed this. Um, the A player entering the arbitration process opens up a second buyout window for a team. So three days after either the uh, process is set or the, the arbitration is settled with a contract, not from the arbitrator. So now if the Red Wings and, and Bertuzzi sign a contract that's settling the arbitration or after the arbitration contract is awarded and accepted by the team, um, three days after that, a 48-hour buyout window opens for Detroit. 
which would open up the opportunity for the Red Wings to buy out Franz Nielsen, as Prashant uh, noted. Franz Nielsen has two years left on his deal, and so that would be a four-year uh, cap hit to buy him out. Um, and I believe it is – let me work out the um, the exact numbers here. Um, it, it's it's not really that bad. Like it's you would we kind of anticipated if there was going to be a bio, it would be Nielsen over uh, Abdulkader. Um, but it's really not bad. The last two years are two thirds of a million dollar. I have it right here for you from I mean, cap friendly is such a great resource lately. The first year is three point four one six 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 seven. Uh, the next year is four four one six 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 seven. And then the two years after are two thirds of a million dollar uh, cap hits. So it's really kind of an option. I don't know what Eisman's thinking. I don't know if they want to save even more cap space. I don't know if they want to put up more money up front, but it is good to know uh, that they have that flexibility. And a key point of that is not knowing what allowances the league is going to make in terms of, you know, you can carry extra guys or, um, you know, these roster spots you can hold because the AHL is not running as we expected or the ECHL is not running. Um, without knowing that, something does kind of have to shake out and buying Nielsen out would free up a roster spot. So I'm generally not the biggest proponent of buyouts, at least with this much term. To me, Nielsen made more sense as a buyout candidate than advocator at this point. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. I think you have to look at this basically one way with where the Red Wings are at. Uh, I'll say two ways. One, do we have enough depth to make up for losing a player off the roster? Because last year with the Red Wings, that very much would have been a concern. As horrible as Franz Nielsen was, they really didn't have anybody to step into his spot. Um, this year, they do. And then the second way I look at it is, okay, well, if if you already have players on the roster who are going to contribute more than him in the next two years, what's the cap hit in the dead years? Well, it's only 600 and something thousand. That's that's essentially nothing. So if he's going to be a fourth liner or a regular healthy scratch and you can save a little bit on the cap the next two years, I think you do it. Um, now, if the Red Wings look at Franz Nielsen, they go, OK, well, last year is an aberration. We think he's got some game in him still. OK, you ride it out for this year and, and you see what happens, because, again, the Red Wings have a ton of cap space right now. They are not in the position where they have to move Nielsen. So if he if they ride it out for this year and he's equally as terrible as last year or somehow worse, okay, you buy him out at the end of the year and then it's only two years of pain versus the four that you do right now. So I don't really think there's a wrong option here, even if the option with Nielsen is, okay, by the end of the first month of the season, he's terrible. We're just going to send him to Grand Rapids and and, and eat it for this year. Fine. I, I, I really don't think that's a bad option either. So um, unless the Red Wings really go big game hunting for two more deadweight contracts. Like if they take, let's say flurry out of Vegas and Kaloran out of Tampa as two hypotheticals, that would put them really, really close to the cap um, with what Manth and Bertuzzi are likely going to get. Then yeah, maybe uh, buying out Nielsen to free up that extra mill or two this year does make a lot of sense. But unless they do that, I don't, I, I don't think it really matters that much if I'm being honest. Okay, let's uh, rapid fire through the rest of free agency here. And I'm going to go back to the sixth or seventh just to see the notable names. Uh, Yessi Puliyarvi, uh back in Edmonton, pretty notable, two years, 1.175. I'll just generalize this by saying I actually thought 
Um, up until he signed Mike Smith, Ken Holland actually was doing a nice bit of work over in Edmonton. He got Jesse Pugliarvi to come back, which was an accomplishment of itself. Got him at a very reasonable two-year contract. Uh, he made a really good bet um, two years at very cheap with Kyle Turris. And again, he fills a direct need uh, for the Oilers. They were lacking depth scoring. And again, not that Turris is ever going to put up 50, 60 points, but hey, a 30, point, a 30 to 40 point scorer on their fourth line, third line is a huge upgrade from what they had. Um, they made another signing too that I really liked that I'm drawing a blank on now. Tyler well, Ennis? Tyler Ennis bringing him back cheap was a great move. Uh, they, Tyson Berry? Tyson Berry, that was one. Thank you. One year Three deal. And a half, right? What's that? 375. Three yeah. 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 So they got Tyson Berry in on a one year deal. Um, on the cheap, which was a fantastic move. He did have the advantage of using, well, we don't have a cap power play quarterback, so you can quarterback Dreisaitl and McDavid and get paid next summer. But hey, he, he threw that out there and Barry bit. And um, the only thing I think Ken Holland really screwed up in Edmonton was uh, their goaltending still sucks. Uh, and I think Miko Koskinen's better than he gets credit for, but their goaltending still sucks. So, I mean, I have a feeling Edmonton's going to have a a season just like last where they're really, really good. But then anytime the puck gets into their zone, it's going to be a problem. Uh, Max Domi and Columbus on a two-year, $5.3 million per year deal. And then uh, on the flip side of that, Josh Anderson in Montreal got extended seven years at five and a half per year. Um, the Max Domi one, fine. Prove it deal. Cheap enough. Who cares? Man, I know it's not apples to apples, but holy shit, did I get a Justin Ablocator vibe on that Josh Anderson contract. Anderson's had some down years more more because of injury than who he is as a hockey player, because I actually do believe he's a good hockey player. Not worth that contract, even on a good day. He scored, what, one goal this year in 20-something games? He's had one season north of 40 points, and you're giving him seven years and that kind of money? Ooh, I'm glad Montreal, uh, I'm glad a division rival is the one who pulled that off. Um, and that kind of term to a guy who's as injured as Josh Anderson has been is also concerning. And then you factor in the style of play Josh Anderson has. That's up there for the worst contract of free agency so far. It might pay off for a few years, but that that's not even a guarantee. Uh, Dominic Kubelik, two-year extension for 3.7. Big one, Henrik Lundqvist, one year, 1.5 in Washington. So that was, I think, a good get for Washington to replace Holtby. Um, I think Lundqvist technically played better than Holtby last year. So that's a nice little bit of work for them. I mean, we, Matt said, it Mer- would, I th- we, we said it would be weird seeing Henrik Lundqvist in anything but the red, white, and blue. And uh, he solved that problem. Uh, Matt Murray, after being traded to Ottawa, extended uh, four years at 6.25 per year. It's not like four years is an atrocious term, but for me, I, that's, that's a lot of money and commitment. He's he's coming off two pretty bad years for a mu- with a much better team. But then you look at the two years before that and you, Ottawa's gambling a bit here, but you can kind of understand it. I mean, I still don't like it, though. I'm sure he's got uh, three. some game left to, to find. I wouldn't imagine Matt Murray's done. Like, There's got to no, be something still there. Three years at uh, 2.5 for Radko Gudas in Florida. Uh, Cam Talbot flipped over to Minnesota at three years for 3.67. Um, so that's about the market rate for that goalie. 
Yeah, probably one more year than I would have liked to have given him, but yeah, it's fair. Dallas locked up Kadobin for actually less than that on a three-year deal, so good for them. And Kadobin's a little bit older, so a little riskier. Um, Markstrom to Calgary on a six-year, $6 million per year deal. He's going to be 36 when this is over, so you better have uh, a whole lot of confidence in the fact that he treats his body very well because he was a late bloomer to begin with, and uh, the the dollar term for Yakima Markstrom is more than fair. I think $6 million per year for what he's provided the last two years is amazing. Um, that That's one of the huge benefits of the pandemic. I just... That kind of term for a 30-year-old goalie is scary. But that being said, Calgary's not had a true number one goalie since Mika Kaprasov retired. So, hey, if a team was pretty desperate for a goalie, it was Calgary. So getting Markstrom does make a bit of sense because now they have at least six years of, let's say, stability, if nothing else. Um, I will say Vancouver did replace Markstrom in a meaningful way with a two-year, $4.3 million per year uh, contract for Holtby, which I actually think is nice value for them. Yeah, that's a really good value. It gives uh, them two years to ease Demko into the starting job so they can probably get pretty close to splitting games. Demko is pretty young, so I'm sure he's going to have his ups and downs throughout the season and Holtby can come in for two, three, four game stretches when needed. Uh, which would be great. I thought that was a pretty good signing. Um, Vancouver's free agency was an absolute, absolute dumpster fire beyond that. I mean, they needed a right-handed defenseman, lost out on Troy Stetcher, and lost Chris Tanev. They wanted to retain Tyler Toffoli. They didn't do that. They wanted to retain Yak Markstrom. They didn't do that. Although, given what they signed Holt before, I think their goaltending situation actually ended up better than if they had paid Markstrom the 6 by 6 because... They have their stability, even if it's not at Markstrom's level, but they also have a clear path for Demko to be the starter now. But yeah, beyond that, ugh. Uh, Chris Tanev to Calgary, four years at four and a half million. That is a uh, terrible contract. Shattenkirk, and I'm happy that this didn't happen in Detroit because he was kind of rumored to Detroit or Detroit was in on him. Three years at 3.9 per year. Great cap hit. You don't give that much term to a dude who's as old as Shattenkirk is. He's 31. Yeah, and he's already regressed heavily in his career. How much further that's do you think f- this is going? Yeah, that's fair. I didn't. I'm, I haven't been inspired by his game over the past couple of years to give him that deal. Um, I know a lot of Red Wings fans were interested in Wenberg. He went to Florida on a one-year 2.25 deal. It's a great uh, Cor- gamble for them. Yeah, Corey Crawford flipped to New Jersey. Uh, Tory Krug, here's a big one. I know Red Wings fans, it was, I'm happy this ended day one, but Tory Krug ended up going to St. Louis once they realized they weren't getting Petrangelo on a seven-year, $6.5 million deal. Few things. Let me just get it out of the way. I am very happy Detroit did not give Tory Krug that contract. And I actually got a, a, a sick little sadistic sense of satisfaction for all the shit I've been taking all year about saying I don't want Tory Krug to sign in Detroit for this exact reason that he was going to get too much money and too much term. I, I shouldn't say too much money, six and a half is fair, but too much term for a 30-year-old uh, defenseman. So when I said Detroit shouldn't be on him and I said Detroit wouldn't be in on him, thank you. And also... um, it was surprising as hell that it was St. Louis. But after seeing what Petrangelo signed for, ooh, I think this was actually a really tidy bit of work from uh, Rutherford out. I mean, uh, Armstrong, sorry, in St. Louis. I, I mean, would I rather have Krug at 
six and a half for what was it, six years? Or would I rather pay that monstrosity of a contract that Vegas gave to Petrangelo? I'd rather have Tory Krug. Krug was seven years. Uh, Toronto brought in TJ Brody four years at five million, and then Wayne Simmons on a one-year one point five million dollar deal, which confused a lot of Leafs fans. But uh, uh, okay, a couple and things on Jimmy that. Jimmy VC and Jimmy VC yeah. for nine hundred thousand, but he's a depth player now. Anyway, and Zach Bogosian. Uh, yeah. Well, compared to who else they had on their right side last year, as bad as Zach Bogosian is, it's probably still an upgrade. This is the ultimate boomer window for Leaf, the boomer Leaf fans. This is the boomer window. If they can't get it, if they get it done with those additions, it's, it's boomer. Um, the boomers will be beyond thrilled. And my one buddy's dad is the biggest boomer Lee fan. I don't understand. Dubis loses glasses, nerd, idiot. Well, I mean, TJ Brody's an analytics darling. So, and I actually thought that was a pretty good contract for him considering he shoots left, but he plays the right side, which fills the need for them. So my favorite of the Leafs signings was actually the Wayne Simmons signing because um, he's from Scarborough, Ontario, which is a suburb of Toronto. So the immediate narrative became, oh, the local boy who grew up a Leafs fan comes to his hometown team. What a great story. And one of his first interviews on TV after he signed with the Leafs, they said, yeah, and you grew up a Leafs fan or whatever. He's like, he stops him. Actually, I grew up a Red Wings fan. And now he's immediately my favorite Maple Leaf of all time. <laughs> uh, there was also another good sound bit um, with um, Kyle Dubas. They were asking him uh, about Petrangelo. They're like, so uh, so how close were you to signing uh, Petrangelo? He's like, not even close. He's like, we had a phone call. Not even close. It was <laughs> priceless. So, like, the the Wings fans with Tori Krug saying we were going to sign him for months and months and months. The Leaf fans were doing the same thing with Petrangelo. So, to hear the GM say, yeah, no, that didn't happen. It's so satisfying. Just, again, and, and we fall into this. For the most part, nobody knows shit about what's going on in a front office. Like, very, very little. And yet, all these rumors come out all the time. And nine out of ten times, they're dead wrong. When you get really, really close to an event, the rumors start to gain a little more legitimacy because a lot of these conversations are actually taking place then. But it, it's just funny to find out when like these wild rumors about like top player going to X team get just straight up shot down. It's it's satisfying. Uh, Kevin LeBanc got the uh, I promise you deal after signing his very cheap contract last year on a four year, four point seven two five per year uh, contract. Um million dollars per year contract uh what else has happened trying to think of any big ones to fully signed a pretty good contract in montreal four years at four point something million we talked about taylor hall oh yeah taylor hall that thing happened we're going sequentially guys Oh, well, you said any other. You said any more. What the fuck? Yes, any that have happened in the past two days. It hasn't been that long, Ryan. Mike Smith and Tyson Berry to Edmonton. Oh, now I see uh, where you are in the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, keep going. Rick. All right, we'll do Taylor Hall one year to eight one year eight million dollars to Buffalo. So Taylor Hall's clearly betting on himself that uh, if the pandemic is lifted and there's a little more financial freedom, he'll get paid more next summer. I'm still a little confused why that one year bet on himself contract would come in Buffalo. 
Um, I guess playing with Jack Eichel is a pretty big incentive. I understand that, but given that there were rumors at the last minute that Colorado and Boston were interested, wouldn't have bet on Buffalo being the team he picked, especially if he's betting on himself because both those teams also have elite players, but you know, are also cup contenders. And I did see a lot of arguments, which, which makes a bit of sense that, well, yeah, he has a no move clause, but at the deadline, if it's not going well in Buffalo, they could trade him to a contender and he'll get to control where he goes, which again makes a bit of sense. But to me, it just feels like he's adding a a needless step. Why would you have just not went and signed with a contender? But uh, neither here nor there. I'm not super passionate about it. It was just a, a touch confusing. I think it's just – it doesn't matter what he said about wanting to win. I think we're looking at the reality here that Taylor Hall is at the age – what is he, 28, 29, 28 years old. His next contract, he wants to be his biggest. This is his cash out. Uh, the money's not there because owners are broke and the flat cap. Teams literally can't afford it in real dollars or cap dollars. And so he's saying that's not there right now. I'll play with Jack Eichel for a year, pump my numbers up. Hopefully, the economy is recovered. Hopefully, the cap is recovered. Let's try again when I'm 29. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do it again at 29 and try again at 30. He wants an eight-year or seven or eight-year deal, and he wants his nine to $10 million at least. I think that's 100% what this is about. The no move to control his destination, yeah, I believe. Like I, I buy into that. The Jack Eichel thing, I buy into that. I think this is a money thing. So then the question is, and, and if it's, if you're right, it absolutely makes sense. So then the question is, do you think no other team offered Taylor Hall one year and north of $7 million? I would be surprised. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if one year at eight in Buffalo mixed in with the Jack Eichel part of it was the best he could do. And like, if, that's, if that's true, which it very well might be, it's been a really, really weird offseason. That is a little bit staggering because there's been money there for defensemen and goalies, but a former Hart Trophy winner not that far removed from it can't get more than one year at $8 million and the only team willing to give it to him is Buffalo. That's shocking. Even in this salary cap strapped world, that's shocking. There might be teams that want depth in other ways without having to purchase a big ticket. Like, Mm -hmm. there aren't a lot of guys or teams right now that want to spend big bucks and get a gun for hire. Yeah, and and I get it. And for a lot of these teams, it would make sense because if you are a who is one of the teams that wasn't rumored to be in on Taylor Hall, let's say Dallas, if you trade right. for him at the death, <laughs> right? But a, a good team that that wasn't rumored on, like if you're a Dallas, you trade for him at the deadline, and then you're not absorbing his for full dollars or cap hit. It makes sense for them, but then you have to give up assets for him. So it's a a give and take on that one. But uh, it makes a bit of sense. I um, uh, I have Taylor Hall's. You know how I always like to dump on cities. This is where yeah. Taylor Hall has played hockey. <laughs> oh, a good He's one. played Kingston, Windsor, Edmonton, New Jersey. He took one brief stop in Arizona, decided that sucked, which is not true. And now he's in Buffalo. So he's doing Arizona. the tour. Glendale, Arizona. Let me is, is Glendale bad? I have no idea. I'll add it well, to it's my just list. Not, it's, it's not exactly a bumping, you know? But <laughs> he is checking Phoenix. off the list right now. So I don't know who's oh, yeah. next. It's certainly not Colorado. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe Denver sucks, but I have no idea. They call him Taylor Abu Dhabi High Life Hall. Like that is just a guy looking for prestige wherever he goes. Yes. 
<laughs> Second last contract we'll talk about, uh, Tyler Toffoli to Montreal. I actually thought this was a tidy bit of work by Mark Bergevin. Four years at 4.25. Um, I think that's good. I, again, Jim Benning, you got to control your team better where if you have to let Tyler Toffoli go and you could have had him for 4.25, man. Hey, if you look at players they have that are making roughly the same or more, don't worry. They still have Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Brandon Sutter, and Louis Erickson. Oh, God. I still remember people argued me when I said the Roussel and Beagle contracts were horrific when they signed them. They're like, ah, oh, it's not that expensive and they're bottom of the line and like they're good bottom of the lineup players. Yeah, well, those contracts cost them Markstrom, Toffoli, and Stetcher. So, yeah, pretty bad free agency by Vancouver, I'd say. And the last contract, we've mentioned it. We're going to talk about it because it's going to be an expanded point. Alex Petrangelo, seven years to Vegas, 8.8 per year, full no move clause in every single one of those seven years of his contract. I will repeat what I, tw- what I tweeted. Alex, Pand- Alex Petrangelo is a great player. One of the best in the league at his position right now. That is an absolutely terrible contract that's a bad contract in a non-pandemic world that's an even more egregious contract now vegas has about breaking news breaking news it's going to put water on our fire vegas trades nate schmidt to the vancouver canucks for a third round pick in 2022 oh hey just after we finish dump literally as we finish dumping on jim benning he actually goes and makes a pretty good move I like that. Although, what's Vancouver going to do? What's their cap situation? Sorry to cut you off, Brad. I, that's just it happened while we were recording. So that doesn't happen too too often. So that uh, makes sense because after this signing, this atrocity of a contract, um, Vegas uh, needed to clear up $2.1 million in cap space before they could actually register the contract because it would have put them over their 10% limit. Um, meaning they literally couldn't sign him until they freed up the space. So I don't remember Nate Schmidt's exact cap hit, but I know it's more than $2.1 million. So they can report the Petrangelo contract now. They still need to get under the cap, though, I believe. So there will still have to be moves made. Um, You know, Nate Schmidt's a good defenseman. So they just had like to Nate give Schmidt. up a good defenseman to get another admittedly better defenseman. But still, Vegas, for lack of a better phrase, just put all their chips in the middle of the table here. They have two to three years to win the cup. They really do. And then Petrangelo's contract falls off a cliff because defensemen don't perform perform well into their mid-30s. It is beyond rare for that to happen. They're going to be paying this guy almost $9 million a year when he's 36 and 37 years old. I, I... no matter how good a player is, I struggle to justify that. But if in that two to three year window you have right now, you do win a Stanley Cup, doesn't matter. Mission accomplished. And I understand that. So they signed a, a contract that the back half of is going to be just a nightmare for them, especially given the fact he's got a full no move clause for all seven years. But if you win a cup, it doesn't matter. So I respect the gamble. I can't respect the contract, though. So. They're in full win now mode. Oh, they have to. They have to. And, you know, a storied franchise, a long history. You got to go for it when you get this chance because when are you going to get the chance again? You know, Vegas fans have suffered enough and you eventually have to reward them. They've they've been through so much. (laughs) I don't know. I really like Nate Schmidt as a defenseman. 
to have to give him up. He has five years left at 5.95, so he doesn't exactly come cheap um, still. Uh, they, they're taking their gamble. I can see why Toronto wasn't even close on Petrangelo. I can see why St. Louis wasn't even close on Petrangelo. That's a lot of money. You're betting a lot. You have to hope that he's not an absolute train wreck. Look at Seabrook and Keith in Chicago. Like, obviously, Chicago got their three cups, um, so they're not going to sweat it. Like, Chicago fans freaking out now. I'm like, yeah, you're you're right to be pissed off now about the moves you're making, but also you won. You had a dynasty level run here, so who cares <laughs> that your transition shit? Um, but they have to come away from the in the next five years. They have to come away with a cup, or this is a failure. You swing. This is what GMs should do. They should swing. When you have a chance to swing, you swing. But an eight-year swing, he – the money, the 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 no-move clause and the term were all given to Petrangelo. He held his own and got literally everything he's asking for here, which good for him. Hey, And also, uh, no state tax in Nevada. So that's a big difference. Oh, yeah. And I don't ever begrudge players for getting their money. I begrudge the GMs that give it to them. Um, for the good of their team, but the players, yeah, get your money. But like, Nate Schmidt was one of the Golden Knights' best defensemen. He, man, like I know Petrangelo's an upgrade, but is he that much of an upgrade to justify that contract? I mean, Nate Schmidt's a half a point per game defenseman. That's not bad. Petrangelo's good for ten to fifteen more points a year. Yeah, it would have <laughs> like, been interesting to see like. You know, play out a lot of the season and then uh, coming towards the trade deadline, see what defensemen are available because I'm sure it would be a lot more flexible than, than the Petrangelo contract. Well, if that's what it hey, costs, it's exciting, gives us something can you to talk imagine about. Taylor Hall sitting there like, man, this guy gets his long term deal and I couldn't buy one, anyways. 61 and a half million bucks. Well, I appreciate that news coming out before we started theorizing a lot of uh, what would Vegas do to trade a contract to Detroit trade. That's nice of them to save us that time. Um, I mean, they still need to get under the cap. I don't know if that was enough. That wasn't even the biggest uh, move the Knights made. They signed Thomas Yurko to a one-year $700,000 contract. Hell yeah. lead with that, Evan. Way to bury Well, the I lead. couldn't. You, you wouldn't let me get in there. It was too soon before. <laughs> um anyhow that's our free agency in general wrap up of course as this thing trickles on it seems like activity will have slowed but uh, we're still going to be talking about it quite a bit moving forward um that's our general overview uh we'll continue to keep um we'll continue to keep bringing it up rowan just messaged me the 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 contract at the same time i appreciate um that people are looking out for us calling out bad contracts um oh and alexi lafreniere signed his entry-level deal so Full and match. the Islanders traded Devontae's to the Avalanche. Yeah, for two seconds. What a great deal for Colorado. <laughs> Colorado, or what was the stat, or what was the, the quote here? Uh, Chicago's traded and been involved with three trades with Sod, and they managed to lose, lose every single one. <laughs> no. <laughs> Congratulations yeah. to Colorado on getting um, either uh, Kubelik or uh, Kirby Dock in two years when they want Sod back. Yeah, Colorado had a good little uh, free agency. They re-signed Burakovsky. Uh, Graves. Ryan Graves they re-signed as well. Um, Samuel Gerrard was a while ago. Yeah. 
oh, this is not bad. I mean, they don't really didn't make too many moves. Yeah, well, I mean, Joe Sackix has had that team well-constructed for a little while now. Okay, we have a pretty healthy overtime coming up. So before we do that, we're actually going to cut to our interview with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. This guy literally 30 minutes before he went on vacation got on the horn with me and Brad, which we appreciated, uh, to talk about the Red Wings draft. So um, Scott's going to give us his thoughts on the Red Wings overall draft, each pick, uh, how he evaluated them, and uh, give us a little bit of a, uh, a score or a grade. I actually can't remember if we asked him for a grade, but still uh, some more insight into every Red Wings draft pick from this previous draft. Uh, uh, how they'll fit into the Red Wings prospect pipeline in an always, always excellent interview. So without further ado, uh, tune in for our interview with Scott Wheeler. All right. We have the return of Scott Wheeler to the Winged Wheel podcast. It's been a few months, um, and that's not just counting the two draft days. Scott, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Scott Wheeler, uh, you're getting pretty close to being the uh, – you know, resident or, or visiting draft expert for the wind wheel podcast, but it's, it's a blast talking to you. Um, Scott does excellent work on the athletic, um, did amazing work leading up to the draft and covering it. Uh, and we'll get to that later. Uh, but for now we are here to inundate you with all questions draft. So, uh, as we understand it, this is just about your last obligation before taking some vacation. Yep. This is it. I'm, I'm tying up my top 50 drafted prospects ranking and top 10 drafted goalie prospects ranking, which I release every summer, but I'm deciding to do an update on this year for a rare change just because, well, now that we've got all of these drafted kids to, to reconsider. So released it in July, but there's a big update coming to it next week. And once I tie up the loose ends on that, I'm going to enjoy the free agency broadcast today and kind of call it a week. I've got all of next week booked off for vacation. Well, uh, Brad and I can never complain about being tired again. Uh, and with that, I'll throw to Brad. <laughs> All right. So to just, uh, we'll, we'll throw up the softball to start. Um, I don't know if it, I want to say it was to anybody's surprise, but obviously the Detroit Red Wings took Lucas Raymond fourth overall. Just give us your general thoughts on what should be a hopefully franchise changing pick for the Red Wings. Yeah, I liked it. It was one of those picks where he was in the among the two or three players that I would have considered there. I probably would have also considered Cole Perfetti and Marco Rossi, but he was right in that mix. He was fifth on my board. They took him fourth. I've said all along that the kind of three to seven, three to eight tier for me was extremely tight. So I wasn't too fussed about what kind of order they went in. And, and Raymond was firmly in that. He was firmly in that group and that mix for me. So um, I think it's a great pick. I, I think he's the kind of player who can do things that virtually no one else in their organization can do. They, Anthony Mantha has his own skill set and Dylan Larkin has his own skill set and Philip Zadina has his own skill set. And none of them really remind you of the kind of play style that Raymond brings. So he's going to offer them something unique. He's going to give them a little bit of a different element in terms of creativity and just his ingenuity when he's on the ice in terms of his ability to navigate through pressure and navigate through feet and shade away from opponents to hang onto the puck and all of those things are, are, are certainly qualities that, that they, that they need. They need someone who can have the puck on his stick, who can run the power play, who can create in the offensive zone. And I don't think he's going to be a hugely dynamic transition player. He, he doesn't have the speed of a uh, Tim Stoitzle or even the sort of the, the ability to play with pace through the middle of the ice, like someone like Quinton Byfield. I don't think he has the rush sort of dyna dynamism to his game that a player like Cole Perfetti does, even though I'd say he's a better skater than Cole Perfetti. Um, but his ability with 
within the offensive zone to play in traffic, to play in tight spaces, to hang on to the puck, and then to create both for his line mates. And more recently, it's been nice to see with his own shot as an individual creator a little bit and to see him sort of let it rip a little bit more. All of that has has sort of been been a positive development for him and and the rest has always been there the the ability to just make every single play that that you'd expect him to make has always been there so he he's going to be a lot of fun to watch i think there's a little bit more risk in his projection than some of those other kids um just because of the style that he plays and the fact that he may require that the right kind of line mates to really hit the top of his ceiling but but i think in the right situation with talented players at the top of the lineup and with a ton of touches on the power play you're going to be really happy with that pick so i'm glad you mentioned projection there and him being riskier and thus harder to project and that's exactly what i'm going to ask you to do here because it's always damn near impossible to quantify players before the draft because is this guy a first line player is this guy a second line player well who's on the first line of the team that he's getting drafted to etc so now that we know lucas raymond is a red wing we know what the red wings roster looks like and what their farm system looks like where do you see this guy projecting in the lineup assuming he hits relatively close to his ceiling well, I think he'll spend this entire season in, in the SHL as he should. And then you kind of go from there. If he has the kind of season where he's a sort of 0.7 point per game player, he's a consistent contributor. Um, I'm, I'm not expecting him to go out there and have the kind of seasons that we've seen players like Elias Pettersson and William Nylander have after their draft years, where they were just arguably the be- one of the best players in, in Sweden professionally. Um, I think he will be a tiny little bit slower than that in terms of really grabbing hold of a dominant offensive role in, in the SHL. He's already playing bigger minutes this year. He's playing on the power play. He's playing higher in the lineup than he was a season ago. Um, so that's all been good to see. Uh, then, then after that, it, it's going to be tricky. I, I, I think he's not going to be the kind of player that steps right in and is is in the Calder Trophy conversation. Like, I don't think he's going to be the kind of kid who in his very first season is putting up 60 points. I think it will be a little bit of a slower burn, and it's going to be incumbent on the Detroit Red Wings, the fan base, the pressure, the media, everyone involved to kind of recognize that because I think you could see some of the players who are taken around him having a more immediate impact. You could see Marco Rossi in the Western Conference being a, a sort of first or second line center for that Minnesota Wild team and playing with Kevin Fiala and playing with Kirill Kaprizov. And you could see, obviously, Quinton Byfield and Tim Stutzla and even Cole Perfetti in Winnipeg having a more immediate impact. But I, I think you've got to play the long game with with Lucas. And as far as his absolute ceiling, I think you expect him in time to play on the top line, whether that Dylan Larkin is still your sort of top line driver or not. Uh, you could see him playing with Dylan Larkin in two or three years. You could see him sort of being that go-to guy in in more of a way than players like Philip Zadina are capable of being. So um, that's the exciting factor. That's the, the, the sort of that Mitch Marner, that Kyle Connor, that that's the kind of player you're hoping he becomes is, is that sort of dominant play driving puck carrying winger who can control play when he's on the ice and have everybody else kind of bend to his will, if you will. So that's what you're hoping for long-term. I think it will probably take him two or three years in the NHL to kind of really come into his own. But once he hits that ceiling, once he gets a little bit stronger, once he gets comfortable making those plays and he learns to be as aggressive as a shooter as he always has been as a passer and as a puck pursuit 
guy, I think that's when you'll see him really come into his own and potentially become that kind of 70 to 80 point player. Now, Scott, I'm glad you mentioned Marco Rossi because obviously you are among the first and maybe only uh, among the only group to have um, him ranked third, I believe, on your list. Uh, and so to see him fall to ninth and to see Perfetti fall to 10th and, and yeah. having them go below guys like Alex Holtz at seven, what did you make of that? And what teams do you feel like made away uh, the best and what teams do you feel um, maybe took a bigger risk than they should have by passing on them? Well, I think that those were my two favorite picks of the first round and maybe of, of the draft just because of their talent and, and the value that they might be able to give you relative to where they were selected. I think both of those kids in some other re- recent drafts are locks to go in the top five, could go sort of second or third overall in a couple of drafts. Uh, it, Cole Perfetti in particular, I actually expected he would go ahead of Marco Rossi. So um, both of those kids are just, I think they're going to be bonafide stars in the league. Perfetti in a sort of very sort of dynamic offensive sense and Rossi as just one of the better two-way players down the middle in the league and the kind of player who can sort of be a dominant face-off guy and play late zone situations and play on your penalty kill and be kind of that that selkie type for you um so those were those were huge picks I certainly think as much as I love Jack Quinn I think Jack Quinn's a fabulous player he was sort of 13th, 14th, 15th on my board all year. I felt like that was a reach at eight uh, to the Buffalo Sabres, despite the fact that I do recognize and I do understand that with Jack Eichel and Dylan Cousins, that they like where they're at at, at center ice and they wanted to, to find a goal scoring winger to play with one of those kids. So I get that side of it. But even still, he Quinn wouldn't have been my pick there. And, and frankly, I think Cole Perfetti is a, a better fit to play on the wing and score a, a ton of goals. So um We'll see. It, it, that was really the the first head scratcher of the day for me. And there were others. I didn't love um, the, the sort of Caden Gooley pick to Montreal at 16. I didn't love the New York Rangers moving up to take Braden Schneider. I had kind of said, as I did radio and, prod, and, pod, and these podcasts before the draft, that the one thing that, that felt predictable this year was in a draft that's white on defensemen, inevitably a team was going to sort of take that more at cider swing, take that Philip Roberg swing and, and maybe take a player a little bit too high for my liking as good as more cider is. And I'm sure we can get into him as well, but um, it, it just felt like those two D picks and they were the consensus third and fourth D that, that should have gone off the board were a little too high for me. And frankly, I thought that the Jake Sanderson pick to Ottawa at five was a little too high for me as well. Sanderson's a, going to be a fabulous player. He's an excellent defender. He's a superb skater. He's extremely athletic. All of those things are true of his game. But I think Ottawa was in a position to really swing on talent up front. They've already got Eric Brandstrom and Lassie Thompson and Jacob Bernard Docker coming to help support Thomas Shabbat, who's already a top pairing defenseman. And I think as good as Brady Kachuk and... Drake Batherson and their other young forwards are, they could have added more than Tim Stutzla and really made a run of it. And I would have liked to have seen them go after a Rossi or a Perfetti instead of a Sanderson. So there were a few head scratchers in the first round, but ultimately I I don't think it had a ton of shockers for me. I I mean, Igor Chinakov to to Columbus rocked my world. Um, But I think that was true of, of virtually everyone in the hockey world. So um, he was probably the only completely, completely off the board pick. 
So what you're saying is Shakir Mukamadoulin was a surefire first round pick. <laughs> well, Shakir, yeah, Shakir was a bit of a reach. I, I'm, I'm quite frankly, I am much higher on Shakir than most in the in the public sphere. I, I think that there has been a ton of hyperbole out there about people who maybe saw him play poorly once or uh, that kind of a thing. He was bad at the World Junior A Challenge when there were a lot of eyeballs on him, and that shaped a lot of opinions on his game, especially in in the sort of final where he basically gave up the the losing goal etc etc so it's Shakir's uh, I wouldn't have taken him 20th overall for sure he was another one of those defensemen who went too high but if he had have gone in the second round I think that was a fine range for him and he has been excellent in the KHL to start the season and playing in a leading role and some of that is due to COVID and, and the fact that those teams have suddenly gotten very young as a lot of their older players have contracted the virus but Shakir hasn't looked out of place in the KHL as a teenager, and he can skate for a kid who's massive. So there's at least some raw qualities to Shakir that I think you can work with, whereas a player like Igor to Columbus in the 20s, uh, I don't know. He looks like a depth piece for me. He looks like a depth prospect for me. He wasn't even in my top 100. Um, and though he was in consideration for my top 100, he's the kind of player who I wouldn't have used more than a third or fourth round pick on. All right, so jumping back into the Red Wings, and we'll jump into round two here, where the Red Wings made their three picks of Wallander, Niederbach, and Cross Hannes. Mm-hmm. The the feeling I've got reading your work and a lot of other people's work since the draft is uh, most people universally liked the Red Wings second round, uh, despite them almost never picking whoever everyone thought would have been their best player at the pick. So what was your feel? on the Red Wings second round? Well, I really like the the Wallander pick. Um, again, you're sure there might've been two or three other players in the conversation for me at that pick, but he was in that conversation. And anytime you're in the conversation it, it, as, as one of the best players available at that slot, I'm not honestly too fussed about it just because it's, it, that that's what happens at the draft. It's it's not always going to be BPA, BPA, BPA. If, if it were, then I wouldn't have to do the analysis that I do. So Wallander was a good pick in that range. He's a kid who honestly <laughs> reminded me a lot of the anti-Tuomisto pick last year, and not because they're they're similar in skill sets, but because they're similar in the kind of prospect they are. Tuomisto was a kid who did a couple of things really, really well. He was huge. And you you hope that you can work with the rest and that you can turn him into a legitimate option for you. And if you can, because he's huge and because he does a couple of things at a sort of A level, then suddenly if you can get the rest of his game to the proper heights, then he becomes, instead of a third pairing option, maybe he becomes a second pairing guy for you. And I think Wallander has always fit into that same group. There's a raw quality to his game, but his ability to skate his his length his size and the fact that he's actually got a decent amount of talent within the offensive zone once he does do all of that skating to get there that's an exciting package it's it's a it's a similar package to the way that Caden Gooley has been described in this draft class and Gooley is certainly a much meaner player and I think also an even better skater than Wallander but Wallander's uh, he's an athletic sort of raw talented kid who's got size and I think that's the kind of cut that that I'm comfortable with a team making in the sort of second, third round. And it's the kind of cut that I think is could prove fruitful in, in the Tuomisto pick as well. So I like both of those kids. And I think even if one of them makes it, that's a successful sort of gamble on those two players. Um, after that, it, it, it it's more of a mixed bag for me. I think Niederbach is a fine pick. 
Um, I would like to see him play a little bit more aggressively. There are times where he just, he looks passive out there, especially at the pro level. He looks like he's not comfortable making the kind of plays that he makes in, in super elite where he's a dominant player. And there have just been a lot of viewings where I've seen him not look like the best player on the ice, even in super elite where you'd expect that to be the case given his skill set. So he's a very talented player. He's, he's a crafty player with the puck on his stick. He can play through the middle of the ice. He can play in traffic. I like his ability to finish off plays and to, to potentially contribute on a power play and that kind of a thing. But at five foot 11, there has been worries for me when I've watched him play of, is he so talented enough that he's going to be able to, to sort of, become a top six or a middle six player because he's not going to be a, a fourth line guy. So there, there's a little bit of a risk in terms of a pick like that, especially with a, a player who, who just looks a little hesitant at times, which is a little disappointing, but the talent is there. And I think he's a fine pick there. The, the only of those three picks that I really had any real problem with was the Hannes pick. I, I feel like Hannes is more of a mid to late round guy for me. He projects as, as a third liner at the very best, and there's a raw quality to his game. I like the way that he forechecks. I like his constant energy. I like the way that he sort of attacks off the rush and, and tries to come at you in waves. But I don't think he's terribly talented. And I don't think he's going to take the big step next year that some believe he's going to take. There, there are people who think he could become one of the best players in junior hockey next year if, if everything goes well for him. And I just don't see that as, as a chance for him. I don't think his skill level is high enough. So he was the one player of those three that I would probably say was a bit of a reach for me, but he's still a fine prospect per se. I, I just don't think he's going to be more than a, a third or fourth line kind of energy guy who can chip in a little bit offensively. And that's not the kind of player that I like to target in the second round. So then uh, jumping to the third round where the Red Wings uh, tr uh, made a couple more picks, um, taking Donovan Sobrango and Emil Vero, a couple of left-handed defensemen, um, even after they took William Wallander. And most Red Wings fans identified this as a huge position of need. So uh, talk to us about who they are as players and then maybe touch on the fact that the Red Wings took three left-handed defensemen in such close succession. Yeah. If you think that's just them hedging their bets to make sure they hit on at least one of them. I think that's part of it. It could also, it, in, in a realistic case, they, those three kids may well have been, if not their best player available at that slot, then maybe two or three at that slot, in which case they, they made the decision to sort of stack up on the left side and, and hope for the best. Um, so I think that's probably a, a factor in, in, in each of those choices. The Sobrango pick is interesting to me. He's a kid who moves. I, I've said this all year, but he moves extremely well. And by moves, I mean, I don't mean that he's a, this sort of incredible skater or this sort of powerful skater. Uh, by movement, I mean off the puck, the, the lanes that he takes, the routes that he takes, the, the choices that he makes on sliding into space and sliding off the point and getting open. He always takes smart routes. And I think that's an underrated quality and something that we rarely focus on in player evaluation. And it's something that, that Sabrango does incredibly well. Like he's just smart out there in terms of when he doesn't have the puck, he knows where to go, how to get open. And though he, I wouldn't say he's terribly talented when he gets the puck back, the fact that he gets it in so many good spots just helps him make plays, even if he's not the most talented kid. So that's the the exciting part about Sabrango, I think. He's just a very sort of 
intelligent player in the way that he navigates offensively. And then defensively, he's an athletic kid. He's strong enough. He makes smart plays in his own zone on outlets, and he can advance the puck up ice, and he'll occasionally sort of step by a player and, and sort of get the rush started and that kind of a thing. He's not going to be a power play guy. I don't think you're going to see him take some monumental step offensively where he goes from being kind of a half a point per game player to a point per game defender next year in, in the OHL, assuming the OHL even happens, which isn't a guarantee at this point. And he, he's just a kind of well-rounded, versatile player. So we'll see. He's he's the kind of kid where if he makes it, it'll be as a third-pairing guy. He's not going to be more than that. But I think you could see him as kind of a modern, no-fuss, kind of calculated, uh, modern player. Like that That's ultimately what he's going to be if he makes it. And I think that's a fine outcome if he becomes that type of, of option for you on the third-pairing. Vero is a tougher one. He, Vero was on my board very late, sort of in the 90s, whereas Sabrango was one of the final cuts for my top 100. But I'm not sold that Vero is even a, a significantly better prospect than Sabrango, per se. He's one of those kids who's been a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. He turns some people into fans by virtue of just being beyond his age group his entire career like he played his entire season last year at the professional level most or most of it at least before kind of finishing in the playoffs at the junior level um he he was advanced in terms of his entry into the u20 level there uh, playing there as a 16 and a 17 year old um so that that part of vero's game has always intrigued people he has moved up the ranks, I think, a little too early in some cases. I don't think he's talented enough to have made that leap to Liga last year like he did. Um, but it, people in his game, people just see a kid who just always makes the right choice. He's one of those defenders that you never really have to worry about. And I think that is ultimately what propelled him up the ranks, maybe over his actual athleticism or his actual skill set, which I think are just kind of okay um, but the fact that he's just a, he's just a smart, he's, he's a lot, he's like a lot of those Finnish defenders are, he's just a smart heads up all the time, makes the quick eight foot pass every time, makes the smart choices across the offensive zone blue line, will occasionally join the rush to sort of go to the back door and, and cr- try to get, sort of get open as a shot option in, in the offensive zone and that kind of a thing. But I don't think he's going to be a top of the lineup player. And I think he's been rushed a little bit too early and that that could impact his development. So ultimately he's just a kid who I think just does everything kind of at a, at an above average level. And and we'll see whether that's enough. Uh, he's again, like, like a Sabrango, I think you're probably looking at a third pairing sort of five, six, seven type defender, if all goes well for him. And there's no guarantee that that's even going to happen. So uh, give him two or three more years in Liga to to become a, a more controlled player, a more aggressive player, and then you kind of just go from there. So then without uh, diving too significantly into the remaining picks, because obviously anybody fourth round and beyond for the most part would be considering a long shot. So out of the remaining Infinity Red Wings picks, was there any picks that you really liked and any picks that really left you scratching your head? Well, pretty much all of them, other than the Alex Cotton pick, left me scratching my head a little bit. I um, I like Cotton. I, I think he can really shoot the puck. He's got a heavy, heavy point shot. His game has come a long, long way. Like his, he has made huge strides in the last year. Um, he, he's he's sort of physical. He he's can play without the puck positionally. Um, there's a lot to like about Cotton's game. I, I think he was a nice little pick. I, I don't remember exactly which pick they used on him, but Cotton's a player who I'm fond of. Outside of that, I mean, 
I don't have high expectations. All right. So overall, now that we've covered the Red Wings draft class, how would you uh, grade it? I know it's, I'm not sure if you're a fan of that question, but if you had to assign Eisman and Draper a grade here, what would you give them? I think it's a B or a B plus. Um, I kind of do the the winners and losers format at, at the athletic where I break the each team's selections over the course of the two days down into kind of winners, overtime winners, overtime losers and losers. And I ha- had them in my overtime winners category, which is described as basically teams that maybe didn't pick the players that I would have picked or even the the sort of five or six players at, at many of their selections that I would have picked, but teams that I think could ultimately still be happy with their choices when this is all over. So I wouldn't say that on day one or day two, they were among the five teams who I thought got the most value at, relative to where they picked. But I think they're in that sort of six to 10, six to 15 range. I think they had an above average draft class in terms of the picks that they'd assembled and the the outcomes that they had. And certainly there are two ways of looking at that. There's the relative outcome and then there's the total value outcome. On total value, they've probably had one of the five best draft classes, but that's largely because A, they picked higher than most teams in every round and B, because they had amassed a lot of picks. So um, I tend to prefer to look at it in, in relative terms. If a team only had three picks, but I felt they hit home runs on each of the three of them, I will still call them a winner, even if none of those kids are, are going to become NHL players or they're a long shots to become NHL players, because I think it's all about value sort of relative to where you were slotted. And I think the the Red Wings took a lot of players who were either on my board or in contention for my board. And I like that about what they did. But there were a couple of picks. The Cross Hannis pick comes to mind. Even the Emil Vero and, and Sobrango picks that were maybe a little bit too high for me. Um, and then I, the Raymond pick's great. I, I love the Raymond pick. I use, use, that's it. I have absolutely no qualms there. So it was a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, I like the Wallander pick a lot. I, I, would, I would say on average, I would probably give them a B or a B plus. So then I'm going to ask you one very broad question before we finish it off. So now that this draft is in the books, we know the Red Wings are in the middle of a rebuild. Uh, between the last three or four drafts, the Red Wings have amassed an incredible number of prospects yeah do you think with what they currently have in the system they're in a position where we can reasonably expect the rebuild to start turning around essentially do they have enough in the system right now that we can expect them to be a we'll just say good team in three to five years i think so yeah um yeah absolutely i do they are they're, I wouldn't say they're the most well-positioned. There are still other teams that have better prospect pools. The New York Rangers have a better prospect pool. The Ottawa Senators have a better prospect pool. The Carolina Hurricanes and Vegas Golden Knights, I think, have done a phenomenal job in recent years. The Philadelphia Flyers are already a contending team and have a ridiculously talented prospect pool. The Colorado Avalanche have a lot of talent coming. So there are teams still that I think have better groups of prospects than the Red Wings. If I were to do my prospect pool rankings, which I do every February, if I were to do them today, they may still not be in kind of the top five, uh, but they're in the conversation. They're they're kind of right in that mix. They have one of the better young groups coming in the NHL, and and that's a testament to the job they've done both at the draft and in just obviously stockpiling, a, a, pardon my language, but a shit ton of picks. So um, 
they're, they're in a good spot now. Raymond gives them something that they lacked. Uh, Raymond gives them probably what they were, the, the kind of quality sort of star level prospect that they hoped that they were getting in Philip Zadina. And that's not to say I don't think Zadina is going to be a great player. I still think he's going to be a, a top six forward who can give you 25 goals a year. Um, but Raymond is that cut above. He's a cut above a Moritz Sider. He's, he's the clear best prospect in the organization now. And he gives you a potentially game changing talent if all goes well for him. So, um, that is a that's the big one for me it's always the big picks that that define an organization the you can get good depth further and down in the draft but i think all this talk of you can find a Braden point and you can find an Nikita kucherov kind of gets away from you um that just never it never happens and it, i think it's going to start to happen less and less as teams get better at scouting and as more data becomes available and all of that so um We'll see. It, it, I think they're in a good spot. I, I do think that they have the pieces now where if Cider works out and if Raymond works out and if Zadina can become a contributing top of the lineup player for you uh, and Joe Valino can become a third line center for you and Anti Tuomisto might become a second pairing guy for you. And, th- and if those kinds of things start to happen, then suddenly you're in a really, really good spot. So, uh, yeah, I think they'll get there in, in the next three, four years. Well, Scott, if you ever doubt that we uh, that we like you, just remember that we didn't ask you the who's the next Braden Point question. So <laughs> you're in our good books. Uh, yeah. Folks, this has been Scott Wheeler. Uh, Scott, so happy you could join us. Thank you for fitting this in. I know this came at the end of a long, long grind. Um, enjoy your well-deserved vacation. Uh, guys, if you want to read everything uh, that Scott has put together for this draft and that he's continuing to churn out because we think he's just a cyborg um, – Go to The Athletic. Uh, He's worth a subscription alone. Um, Scott, until next time, I'm sure it won't be too long, but enjoy your vacation. Yeah, cheers, guys. Thanks. Welcome back. That was our interview with Scott Wheeler. Uh, Always appreciate him coming on, and and, uh, he really does great work. So um, it's it's great insight to have, and that won't be the end of it. We have other interviews and other uh, guests lined up to continue to discuss the Red Wings Uh, most recent draft class as well as their prospect pipeline. So um, excited to move on with that draft analysis. All right, overtime. Uh, For those of you who are new, overtime is a segment in which we uh, chat with our uh, amazing supporters and listeners, uh, primarily through Patreon. Um, Overtime or Patreon comments on overtime always get read out and we occasionally dabble with Reddit and Twitter as well. But um, it's our way of saying thank you to patrons. Um, who allow us to do all this um, fun coverage and, and hopefully good coverage for you guys. So we're going to start with, <laughs> oh man, this name, you guys are going to love it. Wop This Way by Pussy Smith. <laughs> Says, uh, I'm back. And so are the Red Wings. Oh, sorry. By the way, guys, um, after huge episodes, there tend to be a ton of Patreon comments, which is amazing. We love it. Like we genuinely do love reading and uh, responding to all these. But when there are more, we tend to just fly through them a little bit quicker than usual, uh, just for the sake of uh, episode time here. So if we have already covered something, I'll just quickly breeze past it. But uh, any complaints forward to at Brad Crisco uh, in his DMs, please. Um they go on to say, uh, I'm back and so are the Red Wings. Just kidding. I know this season will be a slightly better version of last year. The signings make me excited, but I definitely wasn't expecting some. Hope all is well and stay safe. P.S. Thanks for the show and making me sound 1,000 times smarter in front of my friends than I really am. Uh, Zen Eisenman says, honest to God, I don't think free agency for the Wings could have gone more perfectly. Signing good potential guys to short-term small money deals is exactly what I wanted them to do. 
The roster is going to look so different and there's going to be more competition to crack the lineup for the young guys, but it's better competition and that's a fantastic thing to have. I couldn't be happier with how this week has gone. Very well said. Rob Byram, who's a new patron. Welcome, Rob, to the Dub Dub family. He says, hey, all new patron here. Glad to finally be supporting the show from down in South Carolina. We never met, but it feels like talking about the wings with friends, which is hard to come by in the South. Really excited about the de- uh, direction of the squad, but still think something big could be brewing as far as a buyout or trade uh, for a cap casualty. Thoughts? Yep, we both mentioned, or all three of us have mentioned that something might still be coming, although Vegas did damper that, dampen that a little bit with their uh, Nate Schmidt dump. But there still could be more from Vegas. John Evans says, hello, gentlemen. Greetings from Ohio. I'm sure you're overwhelmed with free agency questions uh, for the team moving forward, but I wanted to ask about who your favorite Mortal Kombat fighters are and why. Uh, Sub-Zero. Easy. I'm a big Ermac guy. I liked Ermac. Uh, can't even. Uh, Scorpion was one. Was Luke Cage one? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Kind of looks like you. Oh, well then. <laughs> yes, that is my my pick. Uh, La Plata Pleak says, you guys, even Evan, were awesome last week and provided the best possible. Even me. Even Evan. (laughs) (laughs) Surprised you're awake for that one. Even me. Usually you have to put what you want Evan to hear after his name because he's not tuned in before that. (laughs) I am deeply offended by that comment. (laughs) He'll forget this in 11 seconds. Yes. Um. You provided the best possible draft coverage for any team out there. I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say thank you for all you guys do to keep us informed, whether it's, whether it's through straight reporting or your insightful analysis. Much appreciated. Really, really, uh, we appreciate you guys so much. Uh, my question this week is this. With Krug leaving for St. Louis and Hall being signed by Buffalo, is it out of the realm of possibility that the Lightning and Sabres go 1-2 in the Atlantic? I think Eichel's going to have an amazing year. Uh, and if Buffalo is able to have solid goaltending, they may even end up winning the division given all the cap issues Tampa is going to have. As far as Eisenman signings, I'm wondering if that uh, the one the ones that got two year deals were made at least in part as guys to be left unprotected when the Kraken is finally released. Uh, good bet for that because they have to have so many uh, NHL players with specific requirements there, so that that'll help. Um, as for Buffalo, I mean, did I miss anything? They have not addressed their goaltending yet, have they? And they probably needed to address their goaltending more than any other team in the league. So that's a problem. And I still think their defense is just awful. There will be a lot of games now. They'll be able to score their way out of trouble. But that's not a recipe for sustained success. Uh, Matthew M. Rice says, so excited at what has transpired over the last week. I love the short-term deals and all the cap rooms still at Stevie's disposal disposal to perhaps take on a bad contract that said how many future draft picks do you foresee stevie acquiring between now and the end of the 2020-21 season keep up the great work fellas uh i think conservatively four to six based on what he has available i don't think i don't think they have one guy that will get a premium pick in return i think if we're looking at getting a future first round pick it's gonna be in the next week or two taking on a cap dump um, their best bet to get a decent return at the deadline is probably Bernier um, if they don't decide to extend him instead. So I foresee a lot of third to fifth round picks in our future, which again, isn't bad because the Ordings have a ton of prospects. So if Eisenman wants to package them to move up, by all means. Uh, Chris B says, thanks for all the gear coverage last week. My daughter... 
gear. I maybe that's supposed to be draft. Uh, my dog Walter and I were locked in on the live stream throughout the first round. Hopefully, you guys got a bunch of new patrons after all the work you put in. Much appreciated, Chris and Walter. My question: uh, Who? Oh, oh, sorry, just a side before we get into the question. Uh, we I th- we haven't mentioned it yet, and we should because we haven't mentioned it because we're assholes. But we should have sooner. Um, thank you to all of the yes. new patrons this week. Holy shit, the support has been incredible from you guys. I know I mentioned it, I think, on the live stream, but I feel it's worth repeating again. Like when we started this, it was out of boredom and just to talk about hockey because too much leaf talk around here. So we wanted to talk about the Red Wings. Now we're in a position with with the way you guys are supporting us and our Patreon's growing and the occasional sponsorship we go. It's not crazy to think we could end up doing this full time in five years or so. So again, thank you guys because that was never even a thought in my head that would was even in the world of possibility. So I mean, even whether you're at the ten dollar tier, the one dollar tier, it doesn't matter. You guys are making a world of difference to us right now, and it's it's staggering, and we appreciate the hell out of you. Yeah, the outpouring of support. Like, this is, we'll do this regardless because we love doing it, but the outpouring of support was just like, I think you can kind of see it on our faces as they were coming in. So, thank you all. Thank you all, new patrons uh, and old and everyone else. Thank you. Um, Chris's question Who would you rather have, Zegris and Drysdale, Stutzla and Sanderson, or Raymond and Cider? Raymond and Cider, and that's pretty. I like Cider about equally. Uh, maybe a little more th- uh, than Sanderson, just because I'll give him the tiebreaker because he's a right shot and that comes at a premium. Stutzla and Raymond are a wash to me. I like Stutzla and Raymond way more than I like Zegris, even though I probably like Drysdale a little more than Cider and Sanderson. Um, but yeah, there, there's a big enough gap between Raymond and Stutzla to put that over the edge for me. Sid Phyllis says, short story. I'm reading through this article on people, uh, Stevie signed, and I see Riley Barber Huh, why is that name familiar? I keep reading, drafted by the Washington Capitals. Wait, wasn't my son's private skating coach, uh, Miss Barber's son, drafted by Washington like six years ago? Barber played for the University of Miami. Holy crap, the Wings just signed that kid. What a small world. Do you think he'll actually play with the, play with the big club, act like a floater, or just fill in a space in Grand Rapids? Uh, he's more or less a minor deal, minor league deal, Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's Grand Rapids filler. Detroit would have to probably be very injured for him to be recalled. Uh, is Stevie going to try to keep our Michigan per 60 the same now that Abby's gone? Michigan hockey's a truly small world. Thanks. Uh, all I see is Gaines says, great pod as always, guys. Got to say, I really like the interview with Yoki. More interviews uh, in the future, please. Nice to see it. Hawk on and uh, Hawk on. That's how it's pronounced, apparently. Hawk on Anderson. Uh, Hawk on. Anyways, finally be able to do his thing. Guy's a stud. Uh, what the Ferk is up with Buffalo? How do you draft uh, Robin Quinn? Robin Quinn when Batman Rossi is still on the board. Anyways, I got the red 14 Fabry jersey. So if his ACL suddenly exploded, it's my fault for jinxing it. Which one's next? White Larkin with the C. I know things are looking out for the wings, but please stay salty. Yeah, I can't go wrong with a Larkin jersey. And that's probably your best bet long term too. Uh, figure out what number Lucas Raymond's going to wear. Tell us and then get his jersey. Cody Stark says, thanks for the awesome coverage last week. Definitely exciting times to be a Wings fan. Just read an article about Ozzy by Helene St. James marketing her new book. Osgood was my favorite goalie growing up and I loved his Cooper uh, helmet and mask. My Hall of Fame argument for Ozzy is that he was a quarter of an inch away from making it, possibly. If Cronwall doesn't hit the crossbar, the Wings end up winning the 9 Cup. Osgood wins a con Smythe, his fourth cup, and solidifies his entry into the Hall. A quarter of an inch. Ozzy for the Hall. 
I'm in a good mood today, so I'm going to let you have that. <laughs> uh, Tuck Frump says, happy Thanksgiving, only positivity today because my Seahawks won. How excited are you? By the way, Minnesota, way to blow that. How excited are you that Steve Eisman is not only the GM, but is now making short-term low-money deals to players who seem to want to be here? How awesome is it going to be in three to four years when this team is a truly a challenger for the Cup? What's your favorite Thanksgiving Day side minus stuffing? Seahawks, happy Thanksgiving, and let's go Red Wings. Oh, stuffing is the correct answer for Thanksgiving side. Thousand percent. Objectively, yes. We did scalloped potatoes. Ooh. They were very, very good. We did uh, really ham, stuffing. Uh, mashed potatoes, corn, and then an apple pie for dessert. And I, my stomach still hurts, and we ate that uh, five hours ago. Uh, I'm surprised Evan didn't say pie. Uh, Steve's, Stevie's Yoga Mat says, Sup, guys. Happy Thanksgiving for my northern friends. Stevie's killing it. Stetcher is such a steal. Probably your favorite signing so far. Uh, we mentioned Stetcher is probably ours, unless you guys have other favorites. No, I think Stetcher was my favorite signing. Uh, I can see Stevie being done until another cap dump comes along. Anyways, this past week has been the happiest I've been about the Red Wings in a long time. Thank you. Uh, Dean uh, Crystal says, who's a new patron, welcome. And thank you for your support. Says, can't help but notice the glut of cap space still left. Don't see this being used for more signings, but rather to hold on to to acquire assets uh, for teams dumping cap, either now or at the deadline. Uh, regarding Nielsen, I think it makes more sense to take the cap hit now while they have the space than to buy him out and stretch it out over future years. If a spot is needed in the lineup for Valeno or Rass, he can be a healthy scratch or waived eating the money. And third, I'm interested in the now glut of D-men on the roster. What do you think this means for Cholosky, Sider, Lindstrom? Are they relegated to the A if it happens in Euroleagues all year, left for injury call-ups, or any new information on whether those playing in Europe are even available to come back? Eisman seems perfectly content to leave players in Europe over there all season. Uh, so I'm actually glad you brought that up because I forgot to mention it in my big uh, ramblings earlier. So I think all of them are probably going to start in the minors. I think the only quote unquote uh, new guy we'll see in the roster this year will be Svechnikov just because he's no longer waiver eligible. So unless they want to lose him for nothing, they're they're going to have to keep him up this year. Um, but someone, I forget who it was. I want to say it was Tony, but someone made a really good point on Twitter in regards to my tweet about the 10 Red Wings UFAs this year. The SHL is going to be about three to three and a half months of the ahead of the NHL, meaning they're going to end their season around March, which is roughly around when the NHL's trade deadline will likely be, if not a bit later. So... Yeah, they can keep Cider, Valeno, Rasmussen over there to play the full seasons in in their respective Euro leagues right now. And then when they trade off, you know, a handful of the UFAs, they can bring these guys back and plug them straight into Detroit because that might time up pretty close to each other. So you get Valeno and Siders and Rasmussen's feet wet at the end of the season, preparing them for next season to play full time. So um, I, I think that's actually not going to happen for all of them, but I think that's going to happen for some of them. Uh, Jake Jarvis says, as the very lucky and grateful winner of the Jersey giveaway back in May, I've been hemming and hawing over which player to get. I've narrowed it down to Zadina, Sider, or Raymond, looking to usher in a new era with a fresh jersey. I'd love to get your thoughts and hopefully convince me to make a decision. Thanks for everything. Uh, well, Lucas Raymond's been my favorite player outside of the NHL for like two <laughs> years, and I haven't exactly been overly shy about it. 
Uh, so he would get my vote because in all likelihood, uh, the day he breaks through with the Red Wings, I will be getting his jersey. <laughs> I'd say Big Mo Cider. I think he deserves a love. Uh, Michael Thompson says, after years of listening to you, I decided that even though th- COVID has made uh, everything rough financially, I felt I had to find a way to make it work. Oh, Michael, uh, thanks for being a few hours of uh, every week of good hockey content, laughs and a sense of normalcy. All future shit posting aside, I appreciate you guys. Michael, we appreciate you, man. Uh, you've always been a part of the Dub Dub family, but but thank you um, even for the shit posting. Uh, back to the hockey. Holy shit. What a start to free agency and loads of cap left. If we can get another bad contract or two, I think people saying how we're playoff bound might need to chill a bit, but I think needless to say, it's going to be a much more watchable year. My only hope is to keep the plus minus, uh, minus 100 or better. What are your expectations slash goals for the season? Um, I don't care if they come 31st. I just want them to have fewer losses by three goals or more. Win more than 17 games. I'm going to keep the bar low. Make it hurt less. <laughs> I want to cry less this year. That's that's the true goal. Not numb in November. Uh, like Evan said. Well, when Stevie um, came- I can almost guarantee that this year. <laughs> when Stevie came, there was obvious excitement, but I feel this offseason the first time I've had true concrete hope for the future. All that said, I'm ready to be hurt again. Uh, Tony Hatcher says all the buyouts happening have really undercut my hockey credibility with my Pittsburgh based friend group. They've all been desperate for the Jack Johnson buyout to happen and annoyed at me for constantly saying buyouts are rare because they're expensive and stupid. Not too upset about being wrong for now as it feels good to have Abdulkader off the roster. Like most everyone else, I've been really happy with Eisenman's move so far and I'm looking forward to having a watchable team this year. Ryan, I hope the new acquisitions and Lucas Raymond pick have driven Ollie Watkins, Jack Grealish, and Adrian. Oh, you piece of shit. From your nightmares. As fun as that was, I still hate Villa. Oh, that was a rough game. When are you guys getting your blue check marks? Happy Thanksgiving. I don't, I don't know. There's I, people on Twitter with less followers than us that have blue check marks. I, I've never expected it, but now that I've seen that, I've kind of rattled. It's not a follower thing. It's in a, we need to get it. I don't know. We need to become the official podcast of like freaking LA Fitness or something <laughs> like just something random <laughs> just to get them. But uh, appreciate the support and the kind words. Uh, Jake Nagy says it just feels good. Uh, it just feels good to feel good about the wings again, doesn't it? If you could choose only one of our picks from the 2020 draft to reach their ceiling, who would it be? Having reached some, uh, watched some highlights in Will Scouch's breakdown of Wallander, I really think this guy could be a star if he reaches the ceiling. It would make an incredible partner of side with Cider if he can play the left side. There is only one right answer to this question, and it's Lucas Raymond. If only one guy from a draft reaches his ceiling, you hope it's your fourth overall pick. And since his ceiling is far higher than anybody else's, it's it. Um, I was assuming it was non-Raymond. Oh, then you the Wallander. Uh, Just Your Average Teach says, hey guys, uh, listening to Wings for Breakfast, they were talking about Niederbach. Hadn't known much more of him uh, prior to you and them talking about him, but they seem super high on him and said possibly even more skilled than Valeno. Uh, is this someone to keep an eye out as a very solid 2C in the future? Uh, definitely higher ceiling than Valeno and definitely more inherent skill than Valeno. Um, not at all a guarantee, but if he pans out completely, I think he, his ceiling's higher than Valeno's, yeah. More puck skills than Valeno. Uh, higher offensive IQ than Valeno. Yeah. Uh, Valeno's a far better 200-foot player, a far better skater, and I would argue better shot. So it, it's hard to define what has a higher ceiling because 
they both have 2C potential, but they would be very different players in that role. Valeno, more like the poor man's Sean Couturier, Niederbach, more like the poor man's Philip Forsberg, if that makes sense. Uh, B-Man, who is a new patron, so welcome to the New Podcast family. He says, new member of the family, boys, and I'm excited. Great listen through tough times. You bring something different. You all bring something different to the show and perform your role to perfect- perfection. Even Blasho would be proud. I feel like a rejuvenated Wings fan this week. It's nice to see we have a clear plan and there seems to be light at the end of the tunnel. I like what Stevie has accomplished in free agency. These moves, albeit minor when looked at individually or uh, are going to be quite impactful as a whole. They do a couple of things. Uh, one, top to bottom, we're more competitive and functional. Uh, two, it puts Blashill a bit under the microscope. There must be steps forward in the win column and player progression. And three, the prospects can continue to marinate in Europe uninterrupted during what will be an odd season. Only concern I have is what these deals mean. What these deals mean for players like Svech, Timoshov, and Chalosky, which we did cover in our previous answer. So thank you for the kind words, uh, B Man. Jeremy Dahl says great coverage of the draft, you guys. Thanks to all the information and research you've done, I was able to follow along more closely. Especially Brad, I was at work trying to follow and was sad when Tim Stutz was picked, and then equally excited when Eisenman did the right things and took Raymond. So thanks to you guys, I was in the know. Same thing happened years ago when we got Zadina. Pretty awesome feeling. I also found out Eisenman's moves during free agency. Found his moves uh, very exciting. A nice change. Quick questions. Any more bad contracts for him to take assets? Yeah, plenty of Loads. It's just, is he going to get um, the right price? Because I think a lot of the other teams are still being conservative yet because they have time. So they're hoping the asking price will come down. But it, from the lack of these moves that have happened so far, it looks like the teams that are going to be, quote unquote, buying these bad contracts are, are maintaining a high price, which is why we haven't seen many of them yet. Um, and then is there any chance now with his calculated additions, we're not a dumpster fire again, we expect this team to be more competitive and to still lose a lot, but not in such tragic ways. If, if every, like it's early to say, because we still got to see how other teams shake out. If everything goes exactly right for the Red Wings this year, I could see them jump up to fifth or sixth in the Atlantic. I wouldn't bet on that. Like, that's not a bet. I'm putting money on the table, but it wouldn't be the most shocking thing to me if that happened. Uh, all the Flames, Oilers, and Canucks fans can stick it. Listening to you guys does make the shame all less painful. So thank you for the support group, boys. Let's go, Winged Wheel Podcast. Much appreciated, Jeremy. Wingnut says, obviously, everyone's happy with the signing of, oh, signings over the last few days, but how would your opinions change if we don't weaponize the cap at all? As of right now, we're just as much of a budget team as pretty much all the other teams. Would that change your opinion? Is it January 1st yet? Um, I would still consider it a hugely successful <coughs> offseason. Um, they've already weaponized it because let's not forget a second round pick for Mark Stahl isn't nothing. That's a good asset to acquire. I'd be disappointed if, if we didn't get one more. I'm not sure if the market will dictate that it becomes a first round pick uh, because teams obviously hold those in very high regard. Um, but yeah, I'd be disappointed if we didn't get at least one more good return on one of them. Cnod says overall pretty happy with how free agency is going. Didn't post last week because I figured you'd have your hands full. Anyways, I thought grading drafts the day after was a little early. So grade drafts 2014 to 2018. We have a better look at all those picks. Can we save that for a future episode? It's a great question, but I just think it deserves a more exclusive episode. It deserves more more time than we have right now so we'll put a pin in that don't be afraid to poke us because that's the all taken out right now 
grade previous drafts. That's at the top of my draft note or my episode notes. Matt Whip says, "Hey guys, do you buy the rumor on Twitter that claimed the Wings financials were in the dumps?" No, um, no, that came from nobody with no source. That is nothing. That is garbage. I didn't see it. I wouldn't I, be. I, I saw it. It was just from a dude. Like it I wouldn't was just be from su- a guy. Okay, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think I everyone's be. financials might be in the dumps. Okay, so if the Red Wings financials were in the dumps, we wouldn't have done the Mark Stahl deal. The fact they have already taken on an awful contract and then signed for as cheap as they were, they signed four free agents. They are not in the dumps. And again, look at the the industries most of the owners in the league are involved in. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. A lot of teams are in the in the dumps because they're in industries that got hammered by the pandemic. Uh, the Illich's main source of money is Little Caesars Pizza. You know, uh, delivery, takeout, stuff that wasn't really all that hurt during the pandemic. In fact, in some areas, got a boost. So uh, I'm not saying they're doing well because I'm sure their casino business is taking a hard hit right now. But I, I can't see them being one of the owners that got really, really hammered by this. I'll put this out there and say I think there's a chance the financials are in a rough state. But not to the point where it's affecting their hockey ops. It's just making it so... Maybe they don't spend right to the cap, or maybe they're not going after the mega free agents this year. I, I think there's an opportunity for a gray area here, and I also know that I don't know about their internal finances. So until something more solid comes out, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about it one way or the other. Uh, chances of Burton Mantha being traded, I would doubt it unless they're signed. I, I see those guys as trade candidates later on. And finally, Soderblom's ceiling. Oh, man. Ceiling is as tall as he is. Yes, Soderblom's ceiling. I mean, with how skilled he is and how big he is, his ceiling's pretty high. Uh, Probably a second-line player. But he's also one of the bigger reaches to ultimately hit his ceiling. Um, Okay, next question is from Michael Barry. He says, do you think Eisenman's done for the offseason, and do you think the Wings wings took on more cap dumps? No, we are. We don't think he's necessarily done. Although, if he is, it would be a, an okay spot to stop. And uh, yes, we hope he does take on a cap dump. Evan Beckner says it seems like teams in cap hell are holding out hope that someone will come in and help without having to give up assets. Thanks for nothing, Florida. This comment was made under the assumption Schmidt was traded. Uh, should Eisman stand strong with his rumored high asking prices? Yes. Yeah. Don't help teams for cheap. Uh, Ethan Boulderson says playing time, playing time for the young guys is important, but do you think it'll be harder for them to transition back to North American ice after playing on a large surface? I feel like pace of play is a huge factor in the NHL already, and this may not help them. They've grown up playing on these surfaces. I'm not too concerned about them jumping back and forth. It's kind of like riding a bike. Most of them have already played on North American ice at some point. Cider has, Valeno has, I'm not major concerned. Uh, third man in says, Hey boys, what do the Merrill and Nemesnikov signings mean for Cholosky and Rasmussen respectively? Uh, Cholosky in particular on notice since he's neither currently on loan or under contract. He'll have to earn a spot. And if not Grand Rapids, Mike Franklin says with the signings we've made, who's a new patron, I believe. And I miss, if I miss any of you, I'm sorry. Uh, welcome to the uh, family. Mike Franklin says with the signings we've made in our lineup filled out, do you see Eisman making uh, more trades for overpaid players? Preferably. Yes. Got a lot of cap space yet, but I'm curious if Illich will want to spend the money for draft assets. Yeah, Eisenman's pretty, been pretty explicit about wanting to do it. Marc-Andre Fleury or Tyler Johnson seem to be two prime targets for that kind of move. We didn't even talk about Tyler Johnson today. Oh, yeah. 
Caltroit Red Flame says, what's the read on Gustav Berglund? Only 19, so I don't expect to see him in North America this season, but he's following a similar trajectory to Lindstrom. Decent size, uh, playing pro hockey in the Allsvenskan this season, and he's on Sweden's U19 team. So I imagine he has a good shot at the U20. Thoughts on if and when we could see him in North America? Finally, I'd like you guys to say the following. Dobby O'Brien, Don Firel, Bark Small, Stanislav, the Bestnikov, boy catcher, promise ice. Okay. Did I just swear? Probably. I mean, uh, Gustav Berglund, uh, exceeding expectations for a sixth-round pick, but exceeding expectations uh, for a sixth-round pick could still equal career AHLer. Uh, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company says, Hey there, fellas. Ryan, I appreciate the shout-out to Fred's, which should finish reconstruction at the beginning of November from the fire this past spring. Thanks to all who donated. While wall spaces are reserved for guests, there's really nothing stopping you from looking up the address on Google and shipping a framed 4x6 photo of your dog only, no humans in the picture, to Fred's Restaurant in Manhattan's Upper West Side so they can mount the picture on the wall. Nothing whatsoever stopping anyone. What else can be said about Eisenman except that I believe he's operating under a different set of rules from the Illiches than Holland did. This team should be more excited to watch and should double their point total next season, but they will still mess the playoffs by a margin, which puts into perspective just how bad the team was. Lost in all of this, Blasio has been quiet. If you haven't already talked about this, where do you see Nielsen and Chalosky? Uh, when you're about to Zoom interview and you want to show the world how much of a massive tool you are, slide that 4x6 uh, self-portrait out of the Stay Fresh cheese bag. You store it in for safekeeping and nonchalantly place it in the background of your Zoom call so that the entire hockey community can reflect on what a sad, lonely troll you are, Peter McGuire. Uh, Echo Chamber. I believe this would be Rowan. says, good day, dud duds. I see a lot of people blindly riding your collective bell ends over your draft coverage, etc. And I'm here to take you down a few pegs. As a reluctant long-term patron and owner of the talkie show, I think you all can do better. Your analysis is just a series of ripping off actual hockey professional journalists and scouts' opinions and passing them off as your own. A true echo chamber, if you will. Thank you, Rowan, for that. Uh, in future to apply some critical in future, try to apply some critical thinking and challenge cop guy more who essentially uses the methodology. If I can't win my argument by reason, I'll just talk over people. And he's often wrong with the takes even thought he was more smarter than Steve Eisman by saying we shouldn't buy out abdicator back in your box, pal. Also need to talk about the Hall to Buffalo contract and have one more question for former defenseman guy. Even after signing, can he move to a contending team at the end of the year slash trade deadline? It seems to be a query plaguing Twitter. Uh, you can consider that, but he could also be moved to a contending team at the end of the year slash trade deadline. Evan, get off Instagram. That wasn't me. That was Brad. Whoa, Brad. Oh, Rowan was talking. Of course I tuned out. <laughs> uh golf guy mate try paying attention for more than 6.9 seconds at a time your constant space cadet attitudes ruin the flow ruins the flow of the talkie show and look i know you're not working with much on that front but i'll give it a go jersey time what numbers will ryan nemesnikov merrill grice and stetcher wear 69 69 69 69 and 69 i have no idea what numbers they'll wear do you no huh who Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, when you've been knocked down a few pegs and aren't used to constructive feedback, aka abuse, cry your tears into an ultra absorbent stay fresh cheese bag, the whiny podcast host choice in a Fournier company. Um, Sam Bankston says, Oh, all right, boys, over under time 25 wins next season. Over under. Uh, if they play 82 games, they'll say over. I'll give it the over. I'll say under how many wings since you both said how over. many wings score 
30 goals over or under two. Sorry, how many players score 30 goals? Yeah. Under. Under. I'll say over. How many more kids will Brad have over or under one? Under. <laughs> over. <laughs> over. I'll take the over. Oh, man. Um, MT Sack says, is, MT Sack, is this what happiness feels like with the Detroit, with the moves Detroit made? What's Who's the new worst team in the league and why is it Arizona? Uh, Ottawa's still rough. Ottawa's still looking rough, man. Evans bingo card says if some of the D prospects pan out, the wings might have the biggest group on the blue line. Brad. Wow. Repeat effect. That was actually an ad that I wasn't expecting. Wow. Uh, might have the biggest group on the blue line in the league. Cider, Wallander, Tulmisto, and maybe Power, Edvinson uh, with the next year's top pick. Could be a very tough and talented group to play against. Heronic in there, uh, and that has a looks to be a legit top NHL defense. This is a new and weird feeling. I might like it. Paul Hoffman, tough one. Apple or pumpkin pie? Oh, apple. Easy. Pumpkin. I go apple, but that crust can't be too bready. Uh, Hakan Anderson, Stan Club says, I'll always love this team, but it's nice to say I like them again. Um, Garrett TV says, Hockey Amigos, if you've made it this deep into the Patreon comments, please give yourself a round of applause. Uh, Evan must be exhausted. My question, if a playoff projected team uh, were looking to offload a $7 million by two-year contract, would you rather take A, a 21 first, B, a 2022 first, or C, a 2022 third round? Or sorry, A, a 2021 first, or B, a 22 first and a 22 third? B. Well, yeah, I'll take the extra pick all day. Uh, if we're looking at everything in a vacuum, just first to first, I'd rather the 21 just because Detroit's in a position to get better sooner, ideally. Um, Obir Juan Kenobi says, does Jonathan Bergeron see NHL time after his SHL season is completed? Or is he more likely to join the A or neither? He started this year phenomenally. It's great to see a top prospect pop off. I think his his process goes through Grand Rapids. Yeah. He missed and it's some development too, time. Bergeron's on an absolute tear in the SHL right now. So if his whole season goes like this, I think he's got to come over to North America next year. But if uh, he does cool down, I wouldn't even be surprised to see another year in the SHL just because he hasn't really had one yet. So it's still pretty up in the air for him. Uh, Stan Olson says, hey guys, hope all is well. Have you looked at the roster from Michigan's team? They're absolutely stacked. I hope you guys are ready for all the Owen power to Detroit questions. Hey, I'm all for it. Hey, Kent Johnson's going there too. There's going to be like three or four Michigan commits going in the first round because isn't Beneers at Michigan too? Actually, no, not not familiar with the roster. uh, No, sorry, Luke Hughes. (laughs) So they could have three potential top 10 picks. Uh, Eric Jeske, unless it's Jeske, I'm sorry, says, gents, I was listening to NHL Network on the radio and they were discussing how Petrangelo would keep almost $1 million more every year on an $8 million deal in Vegas due to the income tax difference. Given how much the league values its parity, I'm surprised I've never heard a proposal for a tax-adjusted cap. Each team would have their cap adjusted to compensate for income taxes. Salaries would count uh, against it as AAV after taxes. Yeah, that's been proposed a lot in the Toronto sphere because I know they are always uh, pretty cheesed because um, Ontario's taxes are significantly higher. That's uh, a debate that I, I kind of flip-flop on, but I do think there is a noted advantage for players. And you're going to see that, especially now, because money is tight. 
for millionaires. Adam Kalsert says, just want to say thanks for the quality content and pushing through the rough times. Congratulations on fourth highest hockey pod in the US. Keep doing what you do. Also, Evan, M4A1 or M4A1S? Um, that's a convoluted question, but uh, to keep it short, uh, M4A1S. Uh, Evan Pardo says, what end of your stat line constitutes a good season and for Lunda for Raymond? What about best case scenario? I think if Raymond finishes between 0.5 and 0.75 points per game, that'd be a great season for him. A lot of people are pointing to Elias Pettersson being over a point per game in his final SHL season, uh, which was his draft plus one year, but many forget he was a late birthday for his draft. So when he did that, he was actually a year older than Lucas Raymond is now. So for whatever that's worth. All right. Um, I'm sorry we didn't have any time for Reddit or Twitter questions uh, today, but you guys can feel free to throw those in for next episode and we'll try to get to them. Um, apologies, but thank you all for tuning in. Uh, more content to come on free agency, more to come on uh, the draft. Uh, for now, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, our name level Patreon sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Terry, uh, brand new name, name level sponsor, RA, brand new name level sponsor, Brendan Lee, uh, brand new Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, <laughs> Swedish Fart Porn, Andrew <laughs> Bohan, Scott Martin, uh, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, uh, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kalen Wood, Hassam Alkasem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, another former goalie turn, another former go- junior goalie turned golfer, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Ashley Van Conant, Connor Layton in, Wop This Way by Pussy Smith, <laughs> Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, uh, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, sorry, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you guys. And we will see you Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.